Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Owen two with two outs. Bases full of Marlins. He comes set. And the 0-2 pitch. Swing and a miss, and he got him. Strikeout of Miguel Rojas will end this game. And Sir Anthony Dominguez, well, he made it interesting. But the Phils able to hold on and get the win here tonight. His fourth save of the season. And the Phillies a victory tonight over the Marlins 2-1. Well, thank you, Greg Murphy. They had him all the way. Not a not a moment in doubt last night as uh, Sir Anthony loads the bases in the ninth inning and then gets out of it, as you see, with the strikeout. Good morning, everybody. I'm Glenn Mack. Now, good morning, Ricky Ricardo. Good morning, Glenn. How are you? I've been looking forward to this, my friend. Thank you. I'm doing fine, pal. Um, you and I spoke last night, and mm-hmm. I, I don't think – well, let me be this way. You and I have done – beer shows together you've been nice enough to be a guest on my beer tv and uh podcast but we've never done a regular shift together am i right no it's been a long time coming we've spoken about doing this at some point but it's finally here so uh it's 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 gonna be fun i'm looking forward to it as i as i said it's a a lot to talk about although you know we're in that time of year where we're in kind of that uh, that sports purgatory, but uh, there's still lots to talk about. So for the next three hours, folks, buckle up and uh, let's have a little fun. All right, let us start. We'll start with the Phillies. As you said, a lot to talk about. Some good guests today. Uh, and let's start with the highlight. Brian Westbrook is going to join us uh, in the 11 o'clock hour. We'll explain what that's about to you. But last night, Phillies. And their four-game losing streak, they beat the best pitcher in baseball, Sandy Alcantara, who, by the way, was was pretty good. But the key to the game, Rick, is that Kyle Gibson uh, hung in there. You know, the Phils are down one nothing, although it felt like about six to nothing. And Kyle Gibson, who's been slumping, really got back on track. And and to me, that was kind of the key to the game. Big start for Gibson and the the new Miami Stadium. Not the old, you know, where they used to play in the old football stadium. Uh, I missed that uh, big uh, statue, whatever you call that thing out in the outfield. Land Shark. I had about ten different names over. About no, 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 no. I'm talking about the the fountain with the dolphins. Oh, you the, mean the the, uh, the the piece of art? Well, that, art, that was, art is loosely. Called, <laughs> that was I wouldn't remo- call it that, but yes, I miss yes, seeing that. That was removed by the ex CEO 
Derek Jeter. Yeah, uh, but uh, that, that place has been a house of horrors, as you know, Glenn, uh, for the Phillies. So you, know, you, you kind of expected something to go wrong last night, but Gibson was dynamite against uh, Sandy Alcantara, who will probably be if, – if Kershaw, who had a perfect game going into the eighth last night against the Angels, if Kershaw is the opener for the National League – in the All-Star game on Tuesday, you would think that Alcantara might might come in right after Clayton Kershaw. He's that good uh, as far as National League starting pitchers are concerned. So that's a huge win last night. The ironic thing is, is that uh, it's JT Realmuto. Uh, hold on. The big, you well, know. Let, me, let me tee this up, Rick. Yep. Because as you say, they're down one to nothing, uh, and you kind of you kind of said what happened, but let's play it. Bill Strick still trying to push one across here. In the seventh, the one-two pitch, ground ball, hard hit, and past the diving third baseman, Anderson. That will score Hall, and it goes all the way back to the wall. So JT Real Muto cruises into second. He's got himself a double. It was just past Anderson, who may have had a chance at it, but it would have been one heck of a play. As you say, that was the big hit, and he had a big game with three hits. Mm-hmm. And I think you used the word ironic a moment ago. Uh, certainly um, comes after the controversy. So let, let me run this by you and see how you feel about it. All right. See if we feel the same. Because everybody knows what happened uh, last week when uh, it was disclosed that he could not travel to Toronto with the Phillies because he had not been vaccinated. And he talked about it last week. And Listen, at this point, people are vaccinated or not, and I, you know, I, I have my own opinions on it. You do. I don't even think that's relevant anymore because nobody's mind is changing. But where he stepped in it is when he talked about, well, I have to give up a little bit of salary, which came out to $263, which in nobody else's world counts as a little bit. He did try to walk it back. Well, I don't want to say. He walked back last night. I'm going to read you his quotes. You tell me what you think. He said... I wish I hadn't used the words little bit. When the thought little came into my mind, it was over the two games compared to the 162-game season, not the amount of money. I didn't mean it to come out that way. My logic for saying it was about the games, not the money. Hey, I'm from Oklahoma. I was raised on zero money. My family made no money till me, so I know how much money that is I forfeited. I know it's a lot of money. My point was money not going to was that money was not going to make the decision for me. Um, does that work for you? 263 G's, huh? Yeah. I think 263 G's to the blue-collar average fan that goes to Citizens Bank Park that's a loyal Phillies fan. Glenn, is it safe for me to say that that might be, uh, maybe for some families, three years worth uh, of more. income? More. Or I maybe the average. More? I think the average family income in Philadelphia is like 50000 so it's... It's theoretically five years for a lot. So of you're talking between four and five years worth of the average fan's annual income. So mm-hmm. to put the term "little bit of money," it just sounds so pompous to me. That's the first thing that grabbed me when I first, you know, heard those comments. And coming from from a guy like Real Muto, who his persona, Glenn, and and do we really know JT Real Muto? Is there much more beyond? What we see uh, as the very quiet, go about his business type of guy that we, you know that, that at least we see on the surface. So this was really the first time we've scratched the surface of a guy like Real Muto a little bit, and what came out uh, still is uh, the the stench is, is still hanging around. Is uh, that okay? Well, then you you and I view it a little bit differently mm-hmm. because 
he stepped. You mentioned the stench. Whatever. He stepped in it. We, yes, we he both did. know. We know the metaphor we're working on here, right? right? He clearly stepped in it, and it was it was it was so ill conceived, and it was so um, I don't want to say hurtful because somebody was hurt, but it's 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 really bad optics for a guy like that to to talk about a little bit of money. That said, he tried to apologize last night, and Rick. I, I don't know what, what more I can ask of the guy. I'm I'm not about holding grudges. Um you think it was not sufficient? Uh whether it was sufficient or not, he hit he hit a nerve. When it comes to especially during these days, these we're living in hard times, Glenn. So for that that fan who's saving money up to take his family of four to a game and watch a team that is battling for a playoff spot, that has taken on the personality of the managers, a lot of good things that have come of the post-Girardi Philadelphia Phillies. So I, I maybe forgive isn't the word I'm looking for. Look, he, he did his part last night to win the game, although I think he has underproduced for the kind of contract that he signed, and then moving forward, that's going to be an albatross at some point. For the organization, it's a lot of money for a guy who's maybe not as good as we all thought he was. Uh, but I'm not looking for an apology. I, if he's going to walk it back, walk it back with a few more games where you, you know, contribute to wins. That's going to be the best way he can clean this mess. Yeah, I, I would. I think first of all, I think more people are probably see this the way you do than I do. I mean, Howard just got a couple hours out of righteous indignation there, and and I think most of the people called agreed with him. Um, and I also think, as you're kind of alluding, the amount of forgiveness depends on how well he plays. You know, that 698 OPS, as we're now more than halfway through the season, and the defense that isn't as good as we thought it should be is, is ain't going to help him. Um, anyway, I, I'm of the mind to kind of let it go, but I imagine a lot of people are not. And, and Rick, I, I, I'm going to try to do this really quick, and feel free to say whatever you want. Uh, it, is, it is just a shame to me, that everything is political these days. People come to the station, by and large, to get away from politics and everything from... I mean, sports becomes politics when it's this, when the Flyers trade for a guy who's made political waves. Healthcare is about politics. Yesterday, if you were if you're following the news yesterday, South Philly cheesesteak institutions became about politics. It's... it's That's it. That's all i got to say on that. Well, I, I, I we agree there. Uh, you know, this is a place where you come to get away from the craziness. But but of, you can't of, you, but, sometimes, right? Yeah, yeah, it's hard to escape it's it. Politi- it's everybody's on their team. It's blue, it's red, and everything relates to politics. All well, right. I'll tell you one thing, Len. Yeah. I remember a time in this country where it didn't matter yep. where your politics landed. We all, some way, somehow... Ended in the. It, I'm more of the Tip O'Neill, Ronald Reagan. Whether we disagree politically during the day, let's have a cold beer. That's right. right? At the Rick, end of the, that's where I, I fall. I, so. I think we, you and I, should take that literally. There you go. Okay. Um, I'm watching the game last night, and I'm watching Mickey Moniak be so outmatched, Ricky. Yeah, overmatched, and, absolutely. Uh, and I, I ran the numbers this morning. The Phillies have had five guys this year who have played center field. Um, Herrera, Odubel Herrera, Moniak, Metvierling, Roman Quinn, lest you forget, and Mercado, who played at games. I don't know that he counts. But if you take those five guys, 
they are a combined two two twelve batting average with just thirty three RBIs in three hundred and ninety two at bats. Rick, they haven't had a center fielder since Victorino. Correct. Um, trade deadline's coming up. When you and I did a little pregame talk last night, we said let's talk about some some trades. That's my top priority for the Phils. I don't know if that's yours or what do you think they ought to be looking at? Here's the guy I'd love to see roaming center field for the Phillies. And I, and I choose this particular player because you're going to need a guy who can be as close, and you're not going to get it, but as close to a Gary Maddox as possible. And what I mean by that is to help out your slightly inferior defensive corner outfielders by covering as much ground into both gaps, into left center and right center. As Ray Dittinger originally wrote, the line mm-hmm. has been attributed to others, but it was Ray Dittinger's. Two-thirds of the earth is covered by water. The rest is covered by Gary Maddox. Exactly. And, and you're, close- looking, you're looking for a guy who can at least cover a couple of the Great Lakes. The closest thing out there to me that can be had is Michael A. Taylor who is now with the Kansas City Royals. We saw plenty of him with the Washington Nationals. He's a decent right-handed bat with a little pop, but he is going to help both Schwarber and Castellanos immensely with the way he can cover ground in both left center and right center. And for what the Phillies have to offer, let's be honest, Glenn, they don't have a lot in the cover to be able to to, to offer another team. And for the the, um, Royals, uh, to make a deal right now, you, you really just have to tickle them a little bit. You don't have to overwhelm them. Just tickle them a little bit. But that would be a guy who is not going to cost you a lot of money, who is a dynamite defensive player, right-handed pop, some speed. That's a great uh, name. And, and a guy that knows the National League East from his years with the Nets. I won a gold glove for the Royals yeah. last year. Yes, he did. I had not thought of that name because everybody always says, oh, Ben Intendi, you should go for Ben Intendi. And Ben no. Intendi to me is just another corner, decent average corner outfield. And he has, he's not vaccinated either, Ben Intendi. By the way. Well, they better not play Kansas City. <laughs> they better not play Toronto in the World Series. You know what? That's going to be – well, I don't think Toronto's getting in the World Series, but if they were, that would be a huge issue. I like that, Michael. I had not thought of him. And That's I'm the not, guy. You know, I'm looking at all the names and so on. I mean, he's not a great offensive player, but you don't need that, man. You can you bat him – he's not horrible. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. He, he can steal a base. He'll hit 10 home runs a year. Uh, but, boy, he is. He's a terrific – Gold Glove outfielder. That's a really good name. And, you know, like I said, with what the Phillies will have to give up, he's the perfect guy. I, you know, Kansas City, like I said, is, is not going to demand much for him. They've got some young players that they want to bring up and take a look at for a couple of months. So by August 2nd, I'd love to see Michael A. Taylor in the Phillies outfield. I like that. I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. Real quickly, uh, you are one of my favorite baseball guys. You are the Spanish-language broadcaster for the New York Yankees. Had a little, mm-hmm. little Yankees-Red Sox action last night. Oh, I mean, you are. You're working triple shifts these days. Four-hour game again last night. Oh, dude, that's Who would have thought? Okay. <laughs> so that may lead to what I want to ask you, and I'll ask our callers, too, 215-592-9494. Ricky Ricardo, a guy whose baseball opinion I very much trust. What's the biggest problem with baseball these days? It, it reared its ugly head again last night. And as it was happening, the first person that came to my mind was you and this conversation this morning. I think I mentioned it to you when we spoke yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yep. But our old buddy Aaron Boone, 
who's the manager of the Yankees, who grew up in the clubhouse area of the vet. Aaron, who is as big an Eagle fan as you're going to find, son of the great Bob Boone, need I say more. But again last night, Glenn, again, he got ejected. And remember, Aaron Boone has a pacemaker. Pacemaker, yeah, He's told, all right? And yeah. he blew his lid again at the home plate umpire over the strike zone. I've watched this progress all year long. I think one of the major problems baseball has right now is the inconsistency of the umpires in general. Look, the, the mess gets cleaned up around the bases when they go to replay, okay? And I'm watching every time there's, a, there's an appeal, nine out of ten times it gets overturned, okay? There is a blatant mistake. But the strike zone for different hitters, different umpires is out of control. I think, Glenn, it is time for the electronic strike zone. We have the technology. Mm -hmm. Use it. The technology is making the fact that we have it. And you see in that little square box. Well, that's part of the problem. There you go. The little so, square box is what makes it even worse because now everybody the, sees every mistake. Everybody ball. sees the mistake that I, the umpire is making. And I last night, you know, Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton are six feet, seven inches, six, eight, whatever they might be. The strike zone is different for a guy like that as compared to a Jose Altuve or, or somebody more average height in the middle. And I've seen this just all year long, game after game after game, with these managers, not only Aaron, it's been across the board, but managers getting upset, hitters getting upset at the home plate umpire. They step out, they look at the, you know, it delays the game even more. If you're looking at pace of play, I think it's time to take the strike zone out of the hands of the home plate umpire. Look, he's still going to be there. There's not going to be a loss of jobs. The union's not going to yeah, lose. Yeah, there, there, there are plays at the plate. I get it. Hey, yeah. you know what? I don't disagree. And I think it's a problem in all the sports. And the reason it's more of a problem in all the sports is the technology is so good that yeah. the camera catches all the mistakes. That's why it's not that the officiating is worse. I mean, maybe it is because of egos and so on. But I generally think what it all relates to is we at home watching on TV – can see better when it's a ball or a strike than the ump. We can see in football when a receiver steps out of bounds Correct. easier than the guy in the field. We see it in super slow motion in the NBA when a guy gets hacked. It's why umpiring, uh, officiating in all leagues is worse, and it's why all the leagues have to follow that. Let you me know, sneak in. Yeah, go ahead. We, watched, we saw Doug Harvey, Harry Wendelstedt, Eric Gregg, some of the great umpires that you and I grew up on, we don't know how good they were at calling balls and strikes because there was no box. Yeah. And then I, some of those guys might, were considered You might leave Eric up. Gregg out of that. Well, you, you probably are. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's sneaking Rick, Rick and West Philly. You're on with Ricky Ricardo and Glenn McNeil. Hey, hey, Rick. Rick, you with us? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, man. Um, I understand. I understand the problem is with the um, Jason Rito thing because I think is this to him, it is a little bit of money. I understand that it doesn't bother me. So I'm trying to figure out. Well, why you're magnanim You're more right. magnanimous than the entire rest of the world. Yeah, well, that's because the rest of the world probably jealous because he's making this type of money. Well, the rest of the world is jealous because they believe they pay his salary, and therefore they don't want to be reminded yeah. that yeah. don't rub that in my thousand. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I'm just like I said, it doesn't. Why does it bother y'all? Because y'all have to buy the tickets. 
Okay. I, I, it's This is not an argument I really want to have with you. You can feel however you want on that. That's, that's up to you. Uh, coming up, by the way, let, let me uh, tee up a little bit more of the show because we've got a lot, of good, a lot of good stuff coming up. As I said, uh, we're going to be joined at 11 o'clock. Brian Westbrook uh, has written a book along with uh, our mutual pal, Leslie Van Arsdell, mm-hmm. uh, a local TV vet, uh, children's book. And we're going to talk about that. We're also going to, of course, take the opportunity to discuss with Brian what he thinks about the Eagles right now. We're also going to be joined at noon by Anthony Sanfilippo, who really uh, does the best Flyers coverage out there of anybody these days. His Snow the Goalie podcast is an essential. And I just want to say, because I, I love hockey, and I follow this stuff, and I feel for these fans. And if you look at what the Flyers have done since April, Rick. It's um, a joke. I mean, I don't know that I want to go through the whole checklist. And some of it had to trade Giroux, but then the season ends and they trade for Tony D'Angelo this week and they buy out Lynn Bloom and they signed the worst forward in hockey to a four-year deal and they pass on Goudreau. I guess I buried the lead there. Um, and it's almost like they're sitting around in an office every day, the general manager, and saying, how can I alienate the fan base? So... You and I will express our sympathy to the Flyers fans, and we will get righteous outrage as the show goes up. Absolutely. 215-592-9494. Coming up, um, well, maybe one of the greats of the greats may have had his last moment at a um, huge tournament yesterday. We will talk about that. 215-592-9494. With Ricky Ricardo, I'm Glenn Mack now, Saturday morning on 94 WIP. The emotion. He's been a great champion, hasn't he? He is a great champion. Well, that ovation went on for about two minutes yesterday. That's Tiger Woods walking over that landmark bridge at St. Andrews at 18. Uh, start of the day at six over, finished the second round at nine over tears rolling down his cheeks as that applause, uh, engulfs him. It was a very moving moment to me, Rick. Yeah. And it was also kind of the, I don't want to say the guy played too long, but you know, like that's it, right? That's the swan song. It reminds you of that very same walk with Nicholas, with Palmer, and now with with Tiger Woods, you know how long is too long? He look, he Glenn, he was in pain. It's not just the fact that uh, yeah, you know, that the years are going by. Yeah, you know he he yeah, his aging was compounded by his injuries. Absolutely, the uh, the traffic accident you you know uh, took whatever comeback may uh, made that may have been in him. I think it's taken that away. Um, but to watch, and then to listen to the words yesterday, you know, St. Andrews is probably after Augusta is probably Woods' second favorite course in the world. Won it twice there, right? I yes, two thousand, two thousand five, something like that. Yeah, he loves that place, um, and like you said, the the warmth uh, of the ovation. Uh, but simply from an athlete's point of view, you know, to 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 know, I mean, he missed the, he didn't miss the cut by a stroke or two, Glenn. No. I mean. I mean, you just mentioned it. Nine over. Yeah. Where the, well, the leaders are what thirteen under, uh, something like that. Something, yeah, yeah. And, Double and digits. We're going to see the same thing. Not well, more or less this week when Albert Pujols makes his 
appearance in the, well, the home run derby, which is whatever, a little awkward, I think. He's got six home runs this year. But in the All-Star game, and it's the same kind of thing where, I, Rick, I don't begrudge a guy for staying. Um, there's a great line that Jim Bouton once had. I, I don't know if it was in Ball 4 or one of his other books, but he said, all those years I felt that I was gripping the baseball. At the end, I realized it was the other way around. Yeah. It, it's it's if I could do that right if you had that skill to be to play to be playing at St Andrews right to be playing in front of a crowd of people in Major League Baseball to be hitting what does he have six hundred and eighty five five yeah yeah right I mean you don't want to let go of that until you have to right it, it's hard it's got to be tremendously difficult uh, and I've gotten to know Albert Pujols a little bit over the years mm-hmm. you know he is. Back with the Cardinals, a lot of people were critical of him when he signed that big money deal. And how foolish does that look, the uh, the deal that yeah. Artie Moreno and the Los Angeles Angels yeah. signed him to? Uh, they paid him for what he did exactly. the, for, the, for the Cardinals all those yes. years. But he is back with the team, you know, uh, from which he first got to the major leagues and became the great Albert Pujols. And... It's symbolic, I think, Glenn, that he's in the home run derby. He is of the active players, obviously number one, with six eighty five. Everyone else is uh, is retired or no longer with us on that list. But it's almost the passing of of the torch because you you've got a young Dominican kid in the in the uh, Seattle center fielder Julio Rodriguez that's competing against him in this competition on Monday night. So it's it's really the old guard passing the torch to the new guard. You know, how do you say no to the home run derby you for a, you know to a guy that has six hundred and eighty five right. home right. runs? Or the and I think that uh, listen, I don't like Rob Manfred at all. But when he when he put um, him in the All Star game, yeah, along like, with Cabrera, yeah, along with Cabrera, right? It's it's a career thing. Let me give you let me give you three amazing Albert Pujols stats. This is. Courtesy of a friend of mine, Ryan Spader, who's on Twitter as the ace of Spader. He's just a stats guy, Rick. You should follow him. Yeah. All right. Number one, Albert Pujol has a hit off of 10% of all of the players in Major League history ever to throw a pitch. Wow. 10%? Yes. <laughs> That's incredible. Yes. Two, uh, Albert Pujol, in his best offensive season, Ken Griffey had an OPS that was 71% above the league average, right? Um, Albert Pujol is in his first 10 seasons with St. Louis was 72% over, over a course of a decade. Wow. wow. Uh, number three, this one's not so positive, but Albert Pujols could have gone 0 for 598 when he left St. Louis for L.A. and still had a career batting average over 300. He's now at 296. That's amazing. Which, which kind of reflects your Artie Marino points. <laughs> but I get Listen, I get that guys can't give up. I do. I I, I don't begrudge it. Let, let me ask you this. Uh-huh. It's public knowledge. I'm not breaking any news here. He went through a much publicized divorce during the lockout. Mm-hmm. It, it came to light after many, many years oh, of, of yeah. marriage. Yep. You know, it could... Could it be to a certain point that baseball is and hanging on for one more year is maybe his way of dealing with something? Oh, I thought you were going to ask me another way. I know some guys who have decided not to retire because they're paying off divorces. I thought that's what you were saying. It was a money thing. I don't know. Maybe. I if, no. I, if I, so, the more, I don't even think. I think he's got enough money to settle with. Yeah, her you and, would think. Yeah. Um, maybe. 
again, for whatever reason, if you can do it and you don't want to give it up, I get it. I get it. Let's uh, let's grab a call or two. Let's go to sure. Mike. Mike, you're on with Ricky Ricardo and Glenn Mack now. Good morning. Hello, Mike. And Hello. Mike. Oh, there you, you there? are. Hey, yeah, we got you. Hi, okay, uh, yeah, the last time I talked to you, Glenn, was about those uh, great players, Michael Martinez and Delman Young. <laughs> oh. <laughs> too, too. And, uh, You're making a, a list things. of my least favorite Phillies. I have a few things to say about the where baseball is going. First, with the automated strike zone, I have a question. They and uh, Aaron Judge have the same strike zone. Hello, Rick. Did you get that? I, uh, I, he your dropped phone out, is, but I, yeah, you, yeah. His phone is getting weird. I got to let him go. But he basically um, said, with the automated strike zone, how do you account for the disparity of size, well, and specifically it, Aaron Judge? From what I'm told, the technology is much like the um, the shot thing that they have in tennis, which uh, adjusts itself to the batter in his crouch. So no, it's a it's obvious. Look, it's going to be the letters to the knees. It's what it's supposed to be, Glenn. Uh, from the letters to the knees, corner to corner of the plate. Now, the electronic strike zone will adjust. The framing of the strike zone will adjust once the batter is in his stance, in his whatever, if it's a crouch, whatever it may be. It's it, All you need is a split second when he is in that hitting position. The strike zone will be created by the electronic uh, device. So, no, it, 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 it obviously it's going to be different. From the physical standpoint of an Aaron Judge as compared to a Jose Altuve, but in theory, the strike zone is the. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now with the mlb app you can get baseball your way 
Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. Same. It's from the letters to the knees, corner to corner on the plate. I'm assuming it, it uses a laser to quickly Correct. catch, you know, what, what is it now? I mean, it used to be the armpits. What is it now? The letters? The waist? The letters. What, what's mm-hmm. the, what's, what is really the top of the strike zone? You figure the top of the letters of the uniform okay. that, right to the knees. Okay. And uh, it seems that doesn't seem hard to me. Uh, let's go to Rob in Doylestown. Morning, Rob. Morning, gentlemen. Ricky, we spoke about this on the 4th of July. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, for the record, Gene Walk wore number four. But uh, I got a feeling that Derek Call is going to develop into a very productive late bloomer who gets it all together just when the Phillies lose Harper. I really like the kid. I think he's got the right disposition for the town. I'd just put him at first and let him play. I'd bet against it. I hope I'm wrong. Uh, and he got another nice hit last night. He is a guy who came up. He turns 27 next week. I would go to expert witness Ricky Ricardo and ask you, Rick, generally, generally, what is the success rate of prospects who break into the major leagues around age 27? Um, ooh, that's a good question. Uh, in this particular case, in general, it's not a very high percentage. But here's my question here, and I'll ask both you guys. I- I'm watching a lot of halls at bats on an iPad as I'm calling a game. Okay, yeah. Is he this team's Darren Ruff? As in Darren Ruff with the Phillies or Darren Ruff with the Giants? No, as in Darren Ruff with the Phillies. Well, well he- what? <laughs> yeah, maybe, because Darren Ruff was a flash in the pan. Well, they, that, that's, my, but he's that, still that's what I think is. He's still playing. Yeah, okay. So if that and I and I actually like that comparison and so Rob, if he's Darren Ruff, what he is to me is a marginal major league guy who you have on the bench and every once in a while you platoon him and he'll come up with an occasional big hit. Do you see him as more than that? I do, yes. Okay. I think he's well, gonna, I think he's going to develop. See, I, I see so. I, I see a lot of Mike Epstein Don Mincher, wow. Jim Spencer. <laughs> you're going, you're going Norm, way back in the day. Norm Cash. Wow, oh, I love Norm Cash. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's uh, you're you're going back in time. Well, I mean that those are the kind of guys that I kind of envision when I see him. Yeah, you know, I that occasional it. pop from the Walt, Walt Droppo unavailable. <laughs> that's a little before my time. Yeah, well, as long as we're going Ed, back, Ed Ed Cranepool. Who was the original Met, right? Yes. They hung around forever. Well, there you go. You know what? Good recitation of old names. Uh, Greg in the Northeast is on with Ricky and Glenn. Hey, Greg. Hey, Glenn. Hey, Jay. Ricky, how you doing, guys? Thank you you for taking my call. Appreciate it. Uh, uh, Actually, I think I have a really good take on the Flyers, to be honest. Um, Right now, the Flyers haven't been in a long time a blue-collar fan base. It's organizational. It's for organizations. Like, I want to know how many businesses own seats compared to the average family. Because- oh, hockey is a high-end ticket, There's, and it, it is everywhere, because um, hockey doesn't get the TV contracts that the other sports get. No, I mean, I understand that. But and then, like, okay, here we are. Hextel, 
he got us out of the capel from Holcomb, the, mm-hmm. the contracts he gave out. And now we're right back in it with Fletcher, with Hayes and Ellis and JVR. We're the one time that they even said they want to be, they need high-end talent, want to be contenders sooner rather than later. Yet the one player that was high-end talent, you can go after. Now you signed five free but, agents. But what, is, and what does that have to do with the uh, the fan base, the the being a um, an affluent fan base? Oh, I was just that was my first. Thing. I just don't think that the Flyers are any longer a blue collar like hardworking fan base. It's more. See, I well, I disagree with hardworking. You think because people make money, they don't work hard? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm saying I, I believe that the fans that are actually at the game are less likely to be the blue collar Philadelphia fan base that more than they're just ticket. Okay. This this is my thought. And thanks for the call. My thought on overall Philadelphia is not the blue collar town. It used to be Philadelphia. The fan base is blue collar in terms of its attitude. We expect our players to be blue collar. This city, the economics of this city are far less blue collar than they were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. I, I think, and Rick earlier said, it's a blue collar town. I'm not speaking for you, Rick, but to me, when we say that, it's not that the average guy wakes up in the morning, gets a lunch pail, and go punches in and works the line for nine hours. It's that that is the attitude we have ingrained in us as a city. Correct. Uh, I, I think the economics, it, it's not a factory-ridden you know, ridden town. Uh, you know, it, it's not, as you mentioned, it's not what it was 20, 30, you know, Pittsburgh. You know, it's not steel mm-hmm. mills anymore. Right. Uh, it, things have evolved, but the mentality ingrained in our area, it is a blue-collar mentality of hard work and an honest day's pay for an honest day's work. You know, that still exists. Now, does that fan go to NHL hockey, not just in Philadelphia, anywhere around the country or, or, or in Canada? That's a, that's a completely different question that could yeah. be debated. But, uh, you know, the, the attitude is, is what I agree with you uh, about there, Glenn. 215-592-9494. Ricky Ricardo, Glenn Mack. Now, Brian Westbrook coming up at 11 right here on 94 WIP. Uh, who's the band, Ricky Ricardo? Those would be the Delphonics. It would be. And that uh, lead singer there, the falsetto, is William Poogie Hart. Lead singer, songwriter, um, behind that group, and the Philadelphia sound that was so big back in the 70s, passed away. On Thursday at age seventy-seven, um, I, I, I like that. There's so many great groups that came out of Philadelphia, oh, and wow. and listen, you lived this yeah. life. You, <laughs> you and I want to get to that in a minute. But when I when I saw I passed away, and I'm planning the show, and I realize I'm working with you, and I mean, I wanted to do a little tribute, and having you here made it even uh, more poignant. But I think of and fill in the gaps for me. I think of the Roots, Hall and Oates. Jim Croce going back a ways. Uh, Boys to Men, not my favorite, but they were big. Joan Jett, um, the Spinners, uh, the OJs, Archie Bell and the Drells. Who am I leaving out here? Well, Gamble and Huff. Were, oh, Gamble and Huff, yeah, great. They're well, the kings. Sure. Okay, yeah, those yeah. are the kings. The TSOP, yeah. TSOP, the Sound of Philadelphia. You're talking about a an era, not a year or two, Glenn. It was an. I, I played. For those that don't know, I was. In, um, I have a music background. My radio background is is music. Ricky I has in, Ricky has several careers, in, including. I mean, those pipes are just great. So you do commercial work. 
Lots of uh, but you've done a lot of music work, including not just on the air, but you like you. We all we told the stories about you traveled with uh, Rick James back with, in the day. Oh, Prince, Rick James, uh, the Tramps, Earl Young, and the Tramps. This is pure Philadelphia. There was an era where the greatest R and B slash dance music created anywhere in the world was coming out of the city of Philadelphia. Harold Melvin of the Blue Notes. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Teddy Pendergrast. Oh, gosh, um, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I mentioned the, uh, the the Tramps. You know, uh, everything that came out of the Sound of Philadelphia, the Gamble and Huff Studios, going back to the Delphonics, who then split up in 75, but they had Tom Bell, one of the great songwriters of all time, as part of that group. Musically, Philadelphia was the epicenter uh, Vince Montana, the Sal Soul Orchestra, for those that remember the uh, the great disco days and fascinating rhythms uh, in the city of Philadelphia, uh, for years, you know. And, and then after that, you know, you you you've got other. You you mentioned uh, the Roots, but uh, even into the hip hop era, it's not as strong as it used to be. But that was a good. Was well, because time... it was this, it was a distinct sound. Yes, right they... as you say, like. I loved Hall & Oates, who are a Philadelphia group, okay? Yeah. Great blue-eyed soul. Yeah, you know what? Great way to put it. Um, and Jim Croce was that great songwriter who died. You know, he died at age, I think, 28, like so damn Much young. Much too young, yeah. Yeah, but all those groups that you said, the Spinners, the Stylistics, Archie Bell and the Drells, Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, the, all those, it was a sound. It was a, it was a movement. Uh, and by the way, what I didn't know, Rick, is that not only did you have career... Um, playing it, or, you know, uh, being part of it, but you actually were in the forefront that you're a singer. Let's take a listen. Chicago, <laughs> Chicago, hey. it's my kind of town when they lose. Cuando <laughs> pierde, Chicago. You like that, eh? Was that the double doink? That was the, that was the, uh, that was no senor. Yeah. <laughs> That was uh, our buddy Cody Parkey. Got a great day that one. Yeah, they had to escort me out of Soldier Field. They wanted to kill me that day. <laughs> you oh, me? We love you for it. <laughs> um, so yeah, so you you did travel, and you told me yesterday, like you you had a story or two about. Uh, I don't know how many I can, you know. Yeah, I know there's some you can't tell. <laughs> any, any that you can, any you can share. Uh, look, you know, my the first time I ever got to Philadelphia was courtesy of Gamble and Huff, and it was to watch the Sixers as part of the sweep. And I was a very, very young. Let, let me make this very clear. I was very young. I, was, I believe I was, I don't know, 19. And I was on the radio in New York and enjoying some success uh, at the number one rated station in New York at the time. Uh, but there was no basketball success in New York. It still isn't. Uh, so at me being an NBA fan <laughs> at the time, there was a car that was sent to pick us up in Manhattan, me and the program director at the time, Frankie Crocker, courtesy of the good folks at, uh, at TSOP in the Sound of Philadelphia. And we went down the turnpike to the Spectrum to watch the NBA finals between the Sixers and the Los Angeles Lakers. Some of the greatest times of my life, okay, were connected to all that music uh, that was produced out of Philadelphia. You know, it, 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 there was plenty that went around, if, if you know what I mean, Glenn. There was plenty for everyone yeah. back, at, <laughs> back in those days. All right? Yeah, when, it was a different era. Yeah, yeah and when, when guys like Teddy Pendergrass 
would come up to uh, Studio 54 in New York City, and you would see, uh, you know, the the I saw mob. that movie. Yeah, yeah. I'll let you use your imagination from there. Okay. What a great rich life you've had, man. It's been fun. Yeah. A lot of fun. Yeah. Did you have hair back then? Plenty of it. Major hair? Oh yeah. People don't. Pl- I used to have like the back in the day, and we're going back in the day. The the what was what was affectionately known as the Jufro going. Oh, I had that. Yeah, I had Is that, that whole right? Don Sutton look. You know. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'll make you a deal. I uh, not not publicly, but I I will I will send you a picture of me with hair if you send me a picture of you. You got I've got one right on my phone. That okay, great. Yeah. All right, and the next break we'll do that, and yeah, we, we can compare notes. Put them on Twitter. Uh, I would be willing if Rick is willing. I got no issue with it. It's all, all right. part of the reality of my life, baby. All right, hold on. Let's uh, let's get Neil in the Northeast. You're on with Ricky and Glenn. Hey, Neil. Hey. Well, you got to obviously put Dick Clark in it with American Bandstand in Philly, you know, too. Of and, uh, yeah. and, of course, Patti LaBelle, Eddie Fisher, Marion Anderson. Oh, you're going Boys into a whole different men. realm of it, but that's sure all valid. Yeah. Yeah, some some great, you know, and uh, like Ricky, like you said, Gamble and Huff, boy, they they did some great songs, you know, like that, and, and Teddy Pendergast, too, you know, like as well, so. Uh, Philadelphia's been uh, legendary. It's legendary. What? Yep. It's it's yep. a legendary music town. All those yep. names you just mentioned. oh yeah. Neil, what do you got uh, in the fills? Well, uh, Ricky and and Glenn, I, I wonder what you think the likelihood of them making a deal. Uh, maybe Payne or a hop, you know, like for a picture, possibly an outfield or two to maybe help them offensively. Well, we talked about it earlier, and we didn't actually get into a picture, but I'm. Would not mind if they particularly went after a closer. Um, I think you have two really good pitchers at the top of the rotation. If Gibson can find himself, yeah. Well, Gibson has actually Ranger, the last yeah, few times. Absolutely. What he did so, yesterday yeah. So I, 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 but I, I don't really trust the closer at this point. But Rick mentioned a very, I think, very smart idea for center field, and that is Michael A. Taylor from the Kansas City Royals. Oh, yeah, he Neil, was, Neil seems he, underwhelmed. <laughs> he, he, but no, he, it, Taylor has the speed and the athleticism and could yes. steal some bases, too. So, I, yeah, I think offensively he would help them and defensively. Yeah. You know? And remember, they don't have much in the cupboard. to. Tra- if you're looking for a top-notch closer, who are you going to give up to get this closer? You're not going to steal one. And and now a, I know. I'm hoping there's somebody who's on a you know the, yeah, the, the it, one year a, deal. It's a seller's market this year. There's not a lot of pitching out there. No, I know that. And there's a lot of teams that are in it in part because they added the wild card team. And part like I was looking last week, like you know the Orioles have some guys you could go for, right? And then all of a sudden the Orioles win what nine out of ten, and they're at five hundred. Yeah, they and won. They, yeah, they won ten straight, and they're yeah. you know they're they're a five hundred team, and they're only what a couple of games out of the last wild card. Right, so they can't be sellers. So I think that it plays into the fact that if you are one of those sellers, the Royals you mentioned, the Nationals, you know, just one of those really bad teams, you will very much be able to uh, you know drive the market. Absolutely, I don't know if the Phillies have enough. I mean, you know, you're not going to give up some someone that's in your everyday lineup. I keep hearing, well, Reese Hoskins. No, you're not going to give up Reese Hoskins. Number one, who's going to? Well, the, the guy I told you this, earlier, Derek Hall. There's your guy. You're not getting anything top notch for Derek Hall. 
No. It's not going to happen. No, no, no. He's saying Derek Hall is going to play the position. Oh, well, it, it, uh, no. I'm, I'm, no. <laughs> the no, is no. No. Let me just go. I agree with you, Glenn. No. No. All right, Rick. You sent me a picture of yourself. Hold on. Let me find I'm right this. in the middle there. Yeah, I know. Uh, so here's the deal. You know what? You're a fine-looking young man there. <laughs> Who are all those uh, celebrities around here? That would have been the staff of, uh, of the radio station. That was the okay, WBLS staff okay. in the early 80s. All right. So, Kyle, I'm going to find a picture of me and send it to you. And if you, Kyle, are able to kind of edit these down so it takes out most of the other people. Sure. Uh, and you can put put them on Twitter. We don't need a Twitter poll because we're going to both look ridiculous. Oh, come on. Do a Twitter poll. That says what? Who wore it better? Who's sexier? Yeah. No. Like that. <laughs> that, 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 that ain't happening. Rick wins. Okay? <laughs> I concede on that one. Uh, but you can put them up and we can embarrass ourselves. I have a picture of me when I was 21 years old that I can send you with the big glasses and the whole shebang. I'll get that going. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a break now. When we come back, really nice project. Brian Westbrook, who's, you know, the terrific, terrific player for the Eagles. Um, and um, Leslie Van Arsdale, who uh, you and I both know through her Absolutely. TV work. Pros team, pro. Yeah, a pros pro. Team together to write a children's book. We're going to talk to them about that. Get Brian to talk a little bit about the Eagles next. Ricky Ricardo and Glenn Mack now. Two bald guys. <laughs> there you go. A little more of the Delphonics as we go out. I'm Glenn Mack now, along with Ricky Ricardo, Saturday morning, 94 WIP. Uh, Rick, it's nice when uh, nice people get together for a good project. And two people who we really like just did so, and it is hitting the, uh, hitting the stores any day now. Let me introduce uh, Eagles great uh, Brian Westbrook, senior, and our pal from television, Leslie Van Arsdale. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning, Glenn. How are you doing this morning? I'm, I'm doing great. Uh, and Ricky and I, uh, I got my copy uh, yesterday, hand-delivered by your husband, Leslie, by the way, which was very nice. <laughs> and I think Rick got his. I got a PDF, and it's fantastic. So oh, the, good, good, good. The name of this is The Mouse Who Played Football, written by Brian Westbrook Sr. and Leslie Van Arsdale. It's a children's book. Um, I'm thinking about age five to seven, beautifully illustrated. Um, and Leslie, I'll come to you first. How did this project come together? Well, you know what, Glenn, I'd always wanted to write kids' books after reading them for so many years. I have two boys who at the time, they're six and eight, love football more than anything, not the biggest in their class. And just so I kind of had the mouse who played football in mind, showed what I'd done to my husband. And he's like, you know who this is? He said, this is Brian Westbrook. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it is Brian. We call Brian, kind of go over what we're thinking. And Brian's like, yeah, that's my story. And, my gosh, what a great role model for kids. Brian, do me a favor. Tell me, tell me about the hero of the story. Well, I don't know if he's a hero. He isn't a oh, character in this he's, story. He's an admirable character in the story. Yeah, he's a guy that, you know, similar to myself and – and I don't pretend to be any different than anyone else, right? Everyone has trials and tribulations. Everyone has 
of obstacles that you have to overcome and you have to show resiliency. But this character in this story is a guy that always was told you're not good enough. That was always told you're not big enough. You're not this and you're not that. And as that character continued to grow, that chip on his shoulder, just because all those people have said, you're not this and you're not that, that, that chip continued to grow. And he found a way to be effective with using the things that he was good at mm-hmm. instead of looking at the things that everyone else was saying that he was not good at. And really, when you think about it, there's a lot of stories like that. There's a lot of stories in our world where we have to overcome that people say you're not this and you're not that and you're never going to be this and that, and that builds something inside of you. And that's what mm-hmm. this book is all about, building that thing, that, that small thing that no one can ever, you know, look at and, and measure, building that thing inside of you um, and allowing that at, at some point to come outside of you. And then when it does, it makes the world of difference. I think we've all had a Mr. Whiskerberry <laughs> at, at some at some point in in our lives, okay. <laughs> now, who's the inspiration for Mister Whiskerberry? Well, I'll tell you, there, there was a lot of people that said, that, you know, you, you just can't get it done. I mean, right. there was a lot. I'll tell you a quick story. So, when when I was coming out of high school, I went to the Senior Bowl, right? I mean, excuse me, I come out of college, I went to the Senior Bowl, which is basically the best seniors in the country, and we're practicing all week. I'm practicing against guys from, you know, Miami, Virginia Tech, Florida State, all the big schools, Oklahoma. And so we get to the game day, and I'll never forget, we're in the locker room right, right about to run out to the field. And Stump Mitchell, who's a running back in the NFL, he's a running back coach for Seattle at the time, he said, listen, Westbrook, I'm just going to let you know right now, we're not going to play you on, you know, uh, on offense. You're just going to play maybe on some third down, and then you're only going to play special teams. And I looked at him and like in shock. Remember, this is an all-star game. An all-star game, everybody plays, right? Everyone gets an opportunity. And in this particular all-star game, the senior bowl, it was about showing the scouts, showing the NFL teams that you were good enough to play. And this was huge for me, especially coming from a small school. And that just broke my heart. And, again, that was just someone else saying, nope, you're not big enough. You're not good enough. You can't do this. You can't do that. And, you know, that, again, build that chip on your shoulder. And that was built on my shoulder I um, mean, that's just you know, one of the examples throughout my life that um, people, people were saying those types of things. And, and to me, that's the best challenge. Those are the things that you want to overcome. And those are the things that you continue to go out there and work every day uh, to achieve and those goals. And so it's, it's been a special um, opportunity with, with going through this process with Leslie, who has been absolutely amazing um, to work with um, and building something in this book that will make not only myself proud, but also my kids. And that, that's actually just as important. That's really nice. The name of the book is The Mouse Who Played Football, written by Brian Westbrook Sr. and Leslie Van Arsdale. Uh, available Temple Press. I'm told that you can you can pre-order now on Amazon. Yes. should be out in stores, <laughs> uh, by, I think, by the end of the month. Uh, yep. Last question on the book, and then we'll talk a little football. Leslie, what is the, what is the lesson that you want the six-year-old who reads this book to come away with? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, and this is why I love Brian, because he can say this, you know, he has such a way with words. I I mean, I just love the positive message of the book and the fact that, yes, you can be told you're too small, you can't do that. And, you know, there's these things you have to overcome. And I, I already see it with my kids and playing sports. So I just I love the message of the book so much. Uh, okay, 
I'm going to switch gears here. And, Brian, I'm going to tell you something that I think you probably already know, is that Ray Dinger, with whom I worked for all those years, mm. told me that watching football tape with Brian Westbrook was like a college class for Ray. For, <laughs> for Ray. So, so that's, that's pretty high praise. Um, what's your thoughts on Jalen Hurts' how he ended last year, what he might be, and I'm sure you've you've heard some of the stories in the last week, how he looked, he didn't do well in a 7-on-7 seven seven in a minicamp. What do you see here? Well, well, first of all, Glenn, you know, I, I have nothing but respect, and, and even deeper than that, love for Ray Dittinger. Hmm. Um, when, when I was first starting out, it was Ray, myself, and Brian Baldinger, and every single Monday, every single Monday after the game or day after the game, hmm. we would be over at NFL Films, watching film at 5 o'clock in the morning. Mm. There were times where Ray would just come pick me up. He would come downtown and pick me up, and we would ride over together. And it was an opportunity for me just to speak to Ray, a genius, a, a, a guy that has followed the NFL and the Philadelphia Eagles for so long, has so much wisdom, just for me to just steal knowledge from him. Just everything that he was saying, I'm writing down in my head, like, yep, I'm going to remember that because that's going to be useful. And so those opportunities to be with Baldy and Ray, just watching film and understanding how they see the game and how we share how we all see it um, was super special. And so then, of course, working with him on those shows and all that time was a blessing for me. And so Ray is, Ray is a mentor. He is certainly the man. Um, but, you know, when you talk about this Philadelphia Eagles team, we all know Jalen Hurts is going to be the answer. He's going to be the answer to all of the questions. And it's either going to be a good answer or, or it's going to be a bad answer. If this team is going to be successful – is going to be on Jalen Hurts' shoulders. And I'll, I'll tell you, Glenn, I want to be able to believe that he is going to be able to take the leap that we need. When we look at the last four teams in the, in, in the playoffs, you know, the last 10 years, most of them, I mean, I would say 95% of them have had a quarterback that has the ability to carry a team, that has the ability to say, okay, our running game isn't working, our defense is giving up, giving up points, but I can work this thing out with my arm. We're going to have to find out if Jalen Hurts has that ability. Um, over the last couple of years, we haven't seen that shining through. We've seen his ability to be a great leader, be a great voice in the locker room, be someone that's going to work his butt off. I believe that he does that work hard every single day, and that's part of it. Now he has to show his ability to shine on the field with using his arm, and we just haven't seen enough of that quite yet to, to, to be able to say that he has the ability to carry this football team the way that I think this team – is going to be need to need to be carried this season. Hey, Brian, I got to ask you about the current crop of running backs and the way that the coaching staff made adjustments last year to use the run more. Who impresses you? Is there a little Brian Westbrook in in what you see in Boston Scott per se, mm-hmm. and and just the way that the Eagles used the running game at some point last year when they made some adjustments? Well, the way that. Nick Sirianni said, hey, we're going to start the season by going out and trying to use Jalen Hurts in the same way that we would use Phillip Rivers or any other quarterback in that system, Andrew Luck. And that's just not his skill set. And kudos to Nick Sirianni by saying, that's not going to work for us. We're going in a different direction. Most coaches will say, I'm just going to run into this brick wall until the wall falls down. And that just generally doesn't work in the NFL. And so he switched things up. He went to more of a run-centric type of offense and that offensive line dominated for the most part of the season. It made things very, very easy for Jalen as well as the running backs. And so when I look at the running back, I mean, I look at Miles Sanders and I say, I know he's going to work hard. I know that 
Um, he's going to put in all the time that needs to be a very good running back. Here's a couple of things that I want to see from Miles Sanders to make him the complete back that I think he has the ability to be. Number one, he has breakaway speed. We've seen it before. Uh, we've seen it a few games, and when he uses it, you're like, wow, I wish we could see this more. So he has to use that speed a lot more. He's going to have to be able to catch the ball out of the backfield and be confident that his hands are good enough to catch the ball out of the backfield. Miles is super talented when the ball is in his hands. Unfortunately, what we've seen around the league is that you, as a running back at this point, you've got to be able to catch the ball. To be that guy that's going to get $10, $12 million a year, you're going to have to be versatile unless you're, 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 you're Derrick Henry down there in, in Tennessee, right? So unless you're 6'3", 250, you're going to have to be able to catch the ball. Mm-hmm. Miles has to do a much better job there. The other thing that I think Miles has to continue to work on, and this is the hard part when you're a smaller guy in the NFL, I, I faced it myself, is being healthy enough to play. And there are times where, you know, you're 40 or 50% and you're coming into Saturday and you're hoping – that I can get up to 70% on Sunday morning just so that I can go out and play. Miles has to get to that point where he can be more consistent in the amount of games that he can play. And, and if he does, then we talk about the sky is the limit. Now, when you look at the other guys that I think, you know, the coach loves, I've always loved Boston Scott. He's going to contribute in every aspect of the game, special teams in offense, catching the ball out of the backfield. He's going to play third downs. He's one of these guys that don't need any practice reps and when you put him in, he just goes. That's, that's the type of guy that you need, especially in that backup role. But I also saw Kenny Gainwell get some touches, and it felt like when he was in the game, Nick Sirianni as a play caller just liked it a lot more. He felt like confident, say, okay, we can run the ball, we can throw the ball, we can do all the things we want to do offensively when Kenny Gainwell was in the game. And so I, I certainly would expect him to get some touches both in the run game as well as the pass game. All right, last football question. As you know, Brian, there's been uh, tremendous optimism based off of what they did this offseason, getting in A.J. Brown, the the draft picks that they had, all of the moves that they've made. Uh, A lot of people around these parts project them to win the division, maybe win a playoff game, maybe do more. Is that optimism justified? I think it is. When you look at this team, upgrades on the defensive line talent, Hassan Raddick, uh, Jordan Davis, upgrade the linebacker talent. You get Nicobe Dean in there. You've upgraded the secondary. You get Bradbury from the from the uh, from the Giants. You have the ability. You got Tart back there at safety. So you've upgraded everywhere, every level of your defense. Offensively, receivers got to upgrade. Hopefully, you get a second year with Devontae Smith. That's just an explosive weapon there. Obviously, AJ Brown, one of the most coveted uh, guys that you have coming over. When you talk about assets for a quarterback, what's better than a guy that's tough? that's physical, that can help you in the run game, but also can catch the ball. All you have to do is put it around him, and when he has a ball in his hands, he can turn a five-yard route into a 75-yard touchdown. You have that talent there. Dallas Goddard going into a year where I think he was ready to explode. He did some special things last year. We need to see that more. Offensive line has always been good, no doubt there. Um, and, you know, I think they have a group of running backs that are good enough. Now, when you talk about all the talent on that team, it still comes back to that one position. It still comes back to the quarterback and how well he can play and how consistent he can be. If Jalen Hurts is consistent all season long, this team will win double-digit games easily, right? If he goes up and down and you got to kind of ride the wave of, of his progress and step back and things like that, then now you're talking about you know eight or nine games, I think, for this football team. But if this team plays to his talent, stays relatively healthy, you get your quarterback to help you out there, 
this is certainly a double-digit win football team, and I would absolutely be talking about playoffs and, and potentially winning a few games while, the, while in the playoffs. Brian, i got to ask you before we move off the football topic, a guy like you in today's collegiate football atmosphere with conferences becoming mega conferences and the transfer portal, your take, would you have used the transfer portal to get to, get to a bigger program? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I love Villanova. I love what I was able to develop there as a person as well as a an athlete. It, well, it, 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 yeah, I'll tell you this. It comes down to how much money. I mean, these guys are getting – we have some players that are making – I saw a quarterback making $9 million. I mean, they're making – he's making more money in college than I ever made in the NFL. I mean, that's just, that's just crazy. But, you know, I, I, you, know you, you kind of have to feel it out when you're there. I love what, what I was able to achieve, achieve in Villanova and also what I was able to learn there. And now even as a, a former athlete, as an alumni of Villanova, now I'm seeing even the bigger ripple effects of the great alumni base that, that Villanova has. And so it's just been, a, you know, it's been one of those cases. I think as far as schooling-wise and, 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 and what I was able to do there, I could never replace my time there with going to a different school. All right. Hopefully in the sequel to The Mouse Who Played Football, he doesn't end up at like Ohio State or Alabama. Because <laughs> to be honest, I really like the story the way. NIL and we'll be talking about transfer portal and things like that. Yeah, no, it would kind of take away. By the way, uh, my favorite character in the story is the coach at the end, Big Red, uh, mm-hmm. who is drawn beautifully by your illustrator, Mr. Tom looks familiar to me i will say that he does he does um, there are a lot of philadelphia things within the book and again leslie just has done a great job of bringing the story to life and that's what it's all about well leslie i will tell you i have a six-year-old grandson uh who i plan to read this to and i have a two-year-old grandson who i'm going to give it a shot with him as well and it's uh, you guys <laughs> yeah. you guys be- did it i'm becoming attached to coach Furbottom. Yeah, he's, yeah, the names are pretty good. Um, really great project by you guys. The Mouse Who Played Football, written by Brian Westbrook and Leslie Van Arsdale. Uh, it is available for pre-order now on Amazon. Will soon be all be in stores. I'm, I'm guessing you guys may do a book signing or two along the way? Oh, yes. Okay, good. Well, listen, do me a favor. Yeah. Let, let me know, because I will be more than happy to publicize it. I think it's a great thing. Uh, thank you both for being our guest today, and uh, have a great summer, both of you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. How to translate this book right. into Spanish? It, it is Done. so good. Okay, <laughs> I will volunteer my t- you know my my time to do it if you like. We'll Perfect. Talk. All, right. <laughs> All right, guys, be well. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, well, that's interesting stuff, Rick. Um, in terms of what he said about the Eagles, which I think we kind of know, which is. Mm-hmm. They look better in so many places. The receiving core is much better. The defenses, but specifically the linebackers are better. They got an interior lineman. The coach is in a second year. You think he's going to get better, but it all is going to come down to Jalen Hurts. Yeah, it's going to be Hurts. You know, it's going to be Jalen. And as far as that offense is concerned, you you know you heard Brian say it. You know, Sanders his best ability is his availability. They you know they've got mm-hmm. to stay on the field if they if they get deep into a. Uh, you know, in, into that roster of running backs, they they could run into a problem. But if they stay on the field, they've got a very diversified attack. But it's all going to come down to Hurts, Glenn. Yep, it really is. Um, yep. Anyway, uh, but this book, and they, I got it yesterday, and I read it, and I've written some books myself, and I've written some children's stuff. This is a really well-written, nicely illustrated, fun book with a great lesson. So I recommend two thumbs up 
for the mouse who played I agree. football. I agree. There you Just go. from glancing at it, I think it's fantastic. Uh, let's get Tony in Westchester. Tony, you're on with Ricky Ricardo and Glenn Mack now. How are you today? Uh, I'm doing great. Good morning, guys. Good morning, Tony. Uh, yeah, before I get to my, my Phillies point, I, when you guys were talking about the Philly sound and the Delphonics, it, um, it, it's very interesting because I, I thought back and you mentioned the spinners. And if, I want, if I'm not mistaken, weren't the spinners with Motown before they came to Philadelphia on the Philly Sound? And they didn't have a lot of success. And, you know, the Motown was a juggernaut back in the day. And it's funny because they left there and, and then became you know, bigger stars with the Philadelphia Sound. Well, yeah, I know Barry, who I defer to on this one. Yeah, Barry Gordy didn't have enough room. Uh, under the Motown umbrella for all the town. Remember, when Motown took off, everyone tried yeah. to get into Motown, and there wasn't enough, you know, enough room under the tent. So it started spreading around the country. And the after Detroit, because that's where Motown was born. Uh, but really, the next great music dynasty after the Motown sound of Detroit was the Philadelphia sound, a little bit more polished. Uh, the Detroit sound, Glenn. You, if anyone knows Detroit, it's uh, you. I, I, uh, I was there, and Motown was great when I was there. Dude, it was great stuff. Say, Mary was... Wells mean anything to you? Sure, of course, right with the Supremes. <laughs> so I played in a baseball game where she showed up and sang the national anthem just because somebody asked her to. Yeah, I'll very, always remember that. Motown yeah. was very pop driven. Okay, it was it was very crossover. The Philadelphia sound was more pure rhythm and blues. Yeah, it, I agree. It, yeah, I agree. But but to answer your question, Tony, yes, a lot of those acts uh, that uh, that couldn't fall under the umbrella of Motown simply because it just wasn't enough room at the inn, if you think about it. Uh, a lot of it migrated to Philadelphia. Yeah, and I, I also think, didn't Barry Gordy focus his efforts on Diana Ross becoming a, more of a movie star back in the 70s? He did. Mar and he wanted to make Marvin Gaye. Uh, Diana Ross wanted to cross her over to be, you know, to become an actress and, and, a, and a superstar, which he succeeded he at. Yeah. And, yeah. and eventually lifted up roots and uh, and took the whole Motown scene to Los Angeles to Beverly Hills, uh, and and that really opened up the rest of the country to a you know to a lot of talented producers. Uh, for example, the Gambles and Huff of the world. Yep, I got to yeah. run. So give me your uh, Phillies point. All right, Phillies point. The, the team now on paper is very good. Okay, on paper we don't win mm -hmm. games on paper, but it kind of reminds me, and I just wanted you guys' opinion on this. Back in the late 70s, you know, the Phillies were winning the division every year, but they couldn't get over the hump. And then oh. they brought in a guy named Pete Rose, yeah. who was telling Mike Schmidt how good he was, and everybody, Ari Boa, and it, it seemed to put him over the hump. Do you think that's what they need this year and maybe next year? Well, I like think if that? That guy, if that guy exists, it's, it's Bryce Harper. I don't know that there's somebody else you're going for. That team in, in the – this is a good team. I mean, this team has real holes. Yeah. You and I talked about it earlier. Center field is, is, is yeah. nothing. I don't think they're that veteran, one veteran away from putting them over. The no, they're, they're, their defense overall is not very good. Um, the pitching is not as deep as you want it to be. So I, I wouldn't compare it to those teams. No. Uh, but, you know, Bryce Harper gets back. Is it going to help? You bet. Sure. 215-592-9494. Coming up. Uh, it's the What We're Watching segment that we do every week. You and I talked about it, Rick, and you are going to recommend a TV show for the masses, and then I will do the same right next. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, 94 WIP. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a great job. Were you, were you part of that, or did uh, Kyle do that on his own? 
No, I, I played a small part in that. There yeah. you go. Nicely yeah. done. Uh, yeah, we do have to update that one of these days. What we're watching is sponsored by Guided Door and Window. Take advantage of Guided Door and Windows. Big summer sales event. Receive 40% off all windows and doors. Call one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at go, G-U-I-D-A dot com. I Rick, I'm going to ask you to go first because you are watching a show which I have not yet seen. I'm eager to, and I I looked up last night. It is the number one streaming hit uh, on Amazon Prime. It is. I'm watching The Terminal List, which is based on a a, uh, a novel by Jack Carr, a former Navy SEAL, and the the main character is a guy named James Reese, who is of course a Navy SEAL. A lot of deployment. I don't want to give away everything because mm-hmm. if you haven't seen this, folks, uh, it, it is riveting. Uh, but it, there's an ambush. I'll give you the, the, the basics here. There's an ambush which knocks out basically his entire team. And then everything that comes with it upon his return back to the States, there's a lot of dark forces working and lurking, trying to make his life miserable as he tries to find out exactly what happened and why his entire team was uh, was killed was killed off and then there's a lot of levels to this when it gets if you like drama there's a lot of politics in it uh it, even the folks at amazon prime went through a lot to put this on i, I mm-hmm. watched in a couple of interviews with jack carr who had to really you know jump through hoops to get this to be aired so it's, it's got a tinge of controversy to it but it is riveting i mean chris pratt and this cast do a tremendous job taylor kitsch uh, constance Wu, with some very very talented young actors and actresses involved uh in this show but the terminal list, number one streaming right now. At some point, it's going to go beyond streaming, uh, and I, I try to catch as much of it as I can late at night, and, you know, and, and and catch up on each and every episode. But it is fascinating, and I highly recommend it. What time do you normally go to bed at night? I'm curious. At two, two thirty. Do you I, really? I, yeah, I get, you know, I get because I know you work a game, and you work those Yankee games are long games. Long. And getting out of Yankee Stadium, it's oh, not even God. a game. Oh. Of course. Yeah. Of course. I, I'm only eight miles from Yankee Stadium, and it usually takes me about an hour from the garage to, to my apartment building in New Jersey, which is only eight miles. It's usually about an hour, and I drop uh-huh. off the producer at home. So, yeah, I'm one of those guys that when everyone else is already asleep, yep. the light's still on in my living room, and I'm catching up on stuff like the Terminalist. Right. And back, so there was a time on WIP when I worked the 7 to 11 shift, and sometime the 7 to 11 p.m. shift meant working till 1 a.m., Right, I would be on after Flyer Sixers games when we had them, so I'm on till one, and then I drive home, and I couldn't fall asleep right away. No, right, I, you just worked a shift, no. you're keyed up. Unfortunately, sometimes you're hungry, and that's not a good idea to be eating at one thirty in the morning. But I, I, I get it. So sitting, laying back and watching the Terminal List at one thirty in the morning probably it's riveting. Yeah. yeah, it's not good for the sleep cycle. Right. And I'm one of these guys, Glenn. I can't during baseball season. I can't go to bed until the last game on the West Coast is over. So I don't even get, get out of here. Yeah, really? I don't, I don't even get to the terminal list or whatever it is that I'm watching until the Mariners or the Dodgers or the Giants or whoever that last game on the West Coast, until that game is over and baseball's done. That's when I flip to what I'm watching on TV. Well, you're one of the few guys who benefits from the Phantom Runner rule then. Oh, it's, it's been They're playing blessing. an 18-inning game out on the West Coast. Ricky's yeah, going 24 no. straight. Yeah, I'm going to have a couple pots of coffee. Absolutely. There you go. All right, I'm going to tell you about a show I'm watching. All right. 
Uh, I was a fan of the Canadian sitcom Letter Kenny, which was a, it was a mix of, of of it was a mix of lowbrow and highbrow humor, if that makes any sense. Um, if it was stupid and puerile, but at the same time, it was very sophisticated. And you can still catch it. It streams. I don't. I forget where it streams now, but it was a successful Canadian series that um, that made its made its way in the United States. If you watched that show, one of the critical characters was a guy named Shorzy, who was the foul-mouthed hooligan um, who was voiced by the series creator and star guy named Jared Kiso. He was not my favorite character, but he got himself a spin-off show that is a mix of Letterkenny and Slapshot, one of my all-time favorite movies, with, I would say, nods to Mystery Alaska and Goon. So if you're somebody who... Have you seen any of those? You've seen Slapshot, I'm sure. Slapshot, absolutely. There you go. By the way, Mystery Alaska is also it's a great movie, um, and Goon's pretty good, too. And this is a mix of all those. Now, I will say you need to be a hockey guy or hockey gal to like Shorzy, the show, uh, that focuses on Shorzy, the character, who um, is a washed-up hockey player who moves to Sudbury, Sudbury, excuse me, Ontario, kind of in the middle of nowhere, to uh, mix it up for a struggling, low-level minor league hockey team. Um, it's a quick watch. It's six episodes, 30 minutes apiece, and that's about all you want to invest. Three hours, it's great binge. you got Phil's Day Off, All-Star Break, right? we got two days without baseball. You can watch the whole thing and be done with it. Uh, speaking of which, there's actually there is a nod to the movie Major League here, Rick. I assume you like that one. Loved it. Um, Shorty ends up on the worst team in the worst league, and the owner is about to pull the plug. And Shorty promises the owner that if she doesn't disband the team, they'll never lose again. That's kind of the setup. <laughs> anyway, he's a notoriously dirty player. Um, he uh, brags about having sex with rival players' mothers. Uh, he cries during the rendition of O Canada. There's a lot of shtick going on. He he, when she's going to pull the plug, the owner he finds the dirtiest, toughest players he can, mostly unemployed bar bouncers, and that's is your Sudbury Bulldogs. Uh, it's it's puerile, Rick. It is offensive to any thinking woman. I will say my wife lasted about ten minutes and and was out. Um, but sometimes you want junk food. And Shorzy's worthy junk food. And I will. I, Shorzy will be a part of my late night rotation. Maku's is is asleep anyway. She could care less. Yeah, what I'm I would. Watching. I would guess that Maku, as charming as she has been, the two or three times I've met her, <laughs> would would look at you like you're from Mars if you're watching this show. <laughs> See, you're probably right. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, that's one I'll catch up on. Yeah, you know Mike Rodano, right? Sure, he's the one who recommended it to me. So I want to thank him for that. Um, so. If you want to watch a fun, stupid, offensive hockey comedy that will evoke uh, the Broad Street bullies and Slapshot, I recommend Shorzy. And, Rick, one more time for you. The Terminal List with Chris Pratt. There you go. All right. Um, I guess we could take a break here. 215-592-9494. we got other issues I want to bring up, but you know what? Rather than start something, let's take a break. Good time to get in. we got some open lines now because we had our guests and we did this. So if you want to call up, we can get you on in the next segment. 215-592-9494. By the way, uh, Kyle Quinn, uh, tell the people what you have done via social media. Oh, yeah. So I uh, put the picture up of you and Ricky sporting the, uh, sporting the nice hairdos. 
and uh, they're up on my Twitter. So it's at Kyle underscore Quinn WIP. And um, I believe you retweeted it and Ricky retweeted it as well. So you can go on either uh, of our three Twitters and you can find it. But it's both Glenn and Ricky at a young age sporting some uh, some some pretty solid heads of hair there, I must say. Nice right. salad on the, on that the Magnum picture. There, yeah. <laughs> and I think it was about 90 pounds lighter at the time. By, by the, the way. way, in that picture, that's the great Luther Vandross. I thought that was, because you said it's your radio station guy, yeah. so I'm looking like anybody recognizes I'm thinking, that guy looks like Luther Vandross. Yeah. It was our station staff at the time, and Luther Vandross is the guy right below me. I'm going to make a comment on which you have to provide no uh, f- uh, retort on this, Rick. Okay. You look less than 100% of sound mind in that picture. I think that's safe to say. Okay. Yes. It was the And I, I offer no apology. You are at a radio station. Yes. And I, it was the 80s. Oh, the 80s. Offer, excuse me. And I offer no apology for it. No, it was the times. It was all pretty good. Anyway, yes. If you, and, and by the way, Kyle, I don't think you need to write what you did. I had to have my own little commentary. He wrote, here's what he writes, Rick. It's true. At one point in time, Ricky Riccardi puts your, your Twitter, uh, mm-hmm. and, and real Glenn Mac now had hair. Excuse the photo quality. These guys are ancient. Ancient? Ancient. I mean, if you look at the photo quality, it's pretty rough. Okay. Well, mine's say, black and white. My, well, that, <laughs> just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's your, not yours is in favors, pal. <laughs> right. Yours is in sepia tone. Um, allow me to say this. My dad is listening now, right, right now, Kyle. My oh. dad is insulted that you called me ancient. Oh, yeah. well, I'm, I'm sorry, Marv, if it makes yeah, you feel any better. I, Mom, I, uh, Mama Elsa is in Miami listening, too, and <laughs> she's like, wait a minute, my son's not ancient. Right. I've, uh, I'm sorry to insult your guys' parents. I, I did uh, not mean to do that, but uh, I did mean to insult you guys. That's fine. Uh, by the way, coming up at noon, Anthony Sanfilippo is going to join us. I think a lot of our audience already knows Ant. He's... Um, he does the best job of covering uh, hockey of anybody in this town in terms of breaking down what goes right and what goes wrong with this organization. And these days, there's a lot wrong, so we will cover that with him. Your phone calls, 215-592-9494. Ricky Ricardo. You know, Ricky, I took three years of Spanish. I never learned to roll my L's. I My R's. Excuse me, not my L's. My R's. Cost me, cost me an A three years in a row. Ricardito. Ricardito, you gotta just—it's it, easy. I I tried, man. Did it in front of a mirror when I was a kid. I just couldn't do it. With a name like yours, you got to be able to roll your L. See, si, senor. There you go, Ricky Ricardo, Glenn Mac. Now, ninety-four WIP. Along with Ricky Ricardo, I'm Glenn Mac. Now, ninety-four WIP. Let's talk to Craig in Wilmington. You're on with Ricky and Glenn. Hey, Craig. Hey, Craig. Hey, boys. How are you, Macho Craig? Uh, prof. Oh, a long Checking time. In now and then. Yeah, a long time. <laughs> Man, I I have been waiting all morning for you to bring up uh, Shorzy. Um, I, I a friend of mine introduced me to Letterkenny uh, around Christmas, and I binged the whole thing. Uh, it's on Hulu, by the way. You were you're wondering where it's at. It's on Hulu. Oh, I didn't say. Um, I'm sorry. It's on Hulu. Yes, I should have yeah. said that. Shorzy. Now, as a guy that's played since I was nine years old and, and played up through college, and I'm still playing in whatever rec league, more like W-R-E-C-K league I can play in. Yep. Uh, it, it, Jared Kiso gets the game. He loves the game. He's a fan. I know it can be over the top. I know there's some things about it that you just go, oh, yuck. But the hockey parts of it, the camaraderie in the locker room, yes. the sort of hierarchy of you're a good player, you're a scrub. Right. And that last scene, that last 
I, you know, I'm not going to ruin it for anybody yeah, that yeah, just I took don't. the tip I and know. they're going to start. I know what you mean. Yep. I had tears in my eyes. Literally, this thing can get you going from from laughing hysterically to, if you are really a fan of that game, having tears in your eyes and thinking, man, that's everything you play this game for is right there in that scene. Anybody and, who uh, likes hockey should invest these three hours. I'm glad you said it's on Hulu because I forgot to say that. Yeah. Um, so, it's six half-hour episodes and a lot of fun. Go ahead. Yeah. So here's my – I have a Reese Hoskins question. I read something last week on uh, one of the local writers about trading Reese Hoskins. I always like the guy. I love homegrown talent. I'd rather see six or seven of our starters be guys that we brought in ourselves than just going and buying a roster. And I like the guy. And I think he's a – you know, when he's, when he's hot, he's a bit streaky, but he's a good disciplined batter besides just being a, a you know, long ball hitter. But he's a defensive liability. Why can't guys – Get, he's, maybe he's never going to be a gold glove first baseman. But, you know, we had that issue with Ryan Howard. He couldn't make the throw to second. Is it, the, I, I, is it the schedule? Is it is it once you get to a certain level, there's too much demands on your time? Is it that hard to improve beyond a certain level defensively when you're a pro ball player? Rick? I'm asking, Ooh. not rhetorically, just really no, want to I, know I that. understand the question. It's a fair question. No, it, fair question. Look, I, I actually think Hoskins' defense, from what I've seen this year, is I'm not going to say vastly improved, but I don't think he's been the albatross that maybe we all thought he was going to be at the beginning of the season. I, I think he's grown. I think he's grown into some some leadership quality here too. You can see it in his body language on the field. You know, could he be more consistent at the play? He's one of those guys that when he gets hot, and we've seen it, he can carry a team for a couple of weeks, but then he could disappear for a couple of weeks. But my question is. You know, that's a large percentage of players in today's Major League Baseball. It's a very streaky game. Consistent players throughout the course of 162 games are few and far between. I just think Reese Hoskins, at this point in his career, right now, for what he is giving the Phillies, is probably worth more to this organization than than whatever he's going to bring back from another organization. Ray Dinger used to refer to, uh, used to have a nickname. It was the Corner Butchers, and it referred to Reese Hoskins, and it referred to the guy who was involved in this play. 3-2 again, and it's swung on and lined into left center. There's a base hit for Bohm. He's going to turn at first base. Carlson picks it up in the alley. Bohm's trying for two. The throw, he's out by a mile. And Bohm with a head first dive into the bag at second. And I think he hurt himself. Hurt his hand. He's clutching his hand. And Alec Bohm is shaking his head saying it's not good. And the trainer is sprinting out onto the field to take care of Alec. Yes. Well, I guess uh, I guess it turned out better than it could have. Our uh, guest now, Dr. David Gelt, Cooper Bone and Joe. We always like having the Cooper doctors on. Uh, Dr. Gelt, so the story was that he, it ended up being a dislocated left ring finger. Uh, X-rays negative. I think they said he could be available this week. Uh, so I guess could have been a lot worse, Doc. Yeah, uh, first off, Glenn, I also can't roll my R's, too, so I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> Is that right? Did it come up yeah. a lot in medical school? <laughs> Way before that, but I just oh, can never okay. do it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so the dislocated uh, ring finger, uh, it happens a lot, you know, especially the, the little finger and the ring finger most commonly. Um, the good thing is... Uh, you know, if you get it quickly, you can almost pull traction and the drawer sort of pops right back in. And as long as there's no fracture or a piece that's broken off and just the ligaments that got pulled 
Um, usually just settle it down. You can tape it a little bit and let the uh, swelling go down, and usually it can go back pretty quickly. Um, so, fortunately, I think the x-rays are negative, so that's why he's a possibility to play this weekend. Doc, there there have been a bunch of pitchers lately. We're at that time of the year, a little bit past the halfway point. But I've I've looked down a list, and I've seen about eight different pitchers recently that are suffering from, quote-unquote, dead arm syndrome. What is it about a pitcher after about 100 games, or we're closer, we're in about 90 games right now, what exactly is dead arm syndrome, and really what does it take for them to bounce back? Yeah, I mean, a lot of times it's uh, just really fatigue. Uh, you know, we're not supposed to throw that hard. Our bodies just aren't meant to do that. That's why there's only a couple people in the world that can do that and throw 95 and above. Um, and sometimes over time, you just just get some fatigue in that area. The capsule gets, you know, irritated. Um, sometimes the rotator cuff gets strained a little bit. And uh, you just can't get to that. Uh, you, know, you lose a, a few miles per hour in, um, in velocity. Sometimes accuracy can get irritated and... Most important thing is you have to make sure there's no other structural issues, and sometimes you just have to you know, bring it back and settle it down. That's why you know preseason is so important because you want to really ramp up uh, and make sure you have a good base beforehand, so you don't get this issue you know midway into the season. So, do you advise against uh, when they have those stands at like amusement parks and stuff, where it's like throw the three balls and see if you can throw them, <laughs> like no warm ups, just go try to hurl yeah. one eighty miles an hour. <laughs> Definitely troublesome, for sure, of course. Yeah. But, but everybody the, does it. You have to do it, of course. Did the lack of spring tra- the shortened spring training this year because of the lockout, could that have something to do with why there's so many pitchers that at this stage of the game are suffering from this? Yeah, sure. I mean, anytime you don't have a, uh, a conditioning program beforehand and you're ramping yourself up, that's why it takes so long. You know, you say, oh, we, we started a little bit later and we should be good to go. The pitchers especially are the, are the ones that really uh, – you need the timing to get back up to speed uh, for the regular season. All right, last one for me, because I'm sure you've done this all the time. They said, you know, they didn't know what happened first. They thought he, uh, boom, broke his finger, and this is, he could be out for a long time. Um, yeah. So dislocated, and I know that, that people like you do this with shoulders. I don't know any other mm-hmm. extremities you do it with. But basically, you have to take the part that's dislocated tug it out of the socket and place it back in the socket? Like, what's, what do you actually do? Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on which body part, obviously. For the for the finger, you basically hold a little traction. And I don't want to gross some people out, but you, you hold a little traction, you no, pull no, it out. No, no, I asked you entirely to gross yeah. people out. <laughs> okay. Um, but for the finger, what he would do is the, uh, the trainer would, uh, or the physician would hold traction, pull it out a little bit so it sort of past the joint and then it sort of pops over that little prominence and then it pops right back in because there's ligaments on each side of the finger that basically hold the finger together in place so it doesn't keep popping in and out so once it goes in and then you pop it over and then it just slides right in you almost hear it like a click uh and then they feel much better and they can move the finger and they're good to go fun times mm. uh dr gell it is always a pleasure to talk to you i hope your summer is going well you too guys have a good one see right, you doc well. see ya you ever have that done to you with anything uh, my pinky. Is that when, right? I was, when I was nine years old, playing basketball in the backyard, my pinky got dislocated, and believe it or not, my mother yanked it back into place. She heard the snap wow. of the bones cracking and fainted. I kid you not. 
Okay. And to this day, my pinky never went back in correctly. Oh, no. Yeah. So Mama I'll, Ricardo it, got it wrong. She pulled, Elsa got it wrong. And I'll, I ha- I'll show you the next time I see you, Glenn. Oh, my, okay. right, my right pinky points in the wrong direction. Wait, you like, you've seen Brian Baldinger, right? Yes. You have a you have a baldinger pinky. I have a baldinger pinky. You got Florida, of, courtesy of my mom. After I, I guess I must have been eight nine years old, trying to uh, shoot a layup, and I got the shot blocked. And whoever came, maybe a cousin or a neighbor, blocked the shot, and the hand hit my pinky, dislocated the pinky. I was in severe pain, and my mother yanked it to try to yank it back into place, and it went the other way. So, Oof. yeah. Baldinger's I, got that pinky that looks like the state of Florida. Yes, it, I, I, mine looks like Italy, like the boot. <laughs> um, by the way, Bohm, up to this injury in his last 15 games, was hitting 352 uh, with a 924 OPS and eight RBIs in 15 games. It's, it's going to be tough, right, now that he's been sitting for a week to just uh, assume yeah. he comes back today or tomorrow, just – I don't even know if they'll bring him back before the All-Star game, but you hate when a guy, lo- he's in a rhythm and he loses that. Hopefully he can pick it back up. They don't get back to action until Friday. Uh, there's a few teams that play on Thursday. Yeah, the Phils don't get back to action. I'd just rest him the rest of the weekend if I were if I were the Phils. Let's get to Chris in Oxford. You're on with Ricky and Glenn. Hey, Chris. Hey, how are you? Good. How you doing, Chris? I'm living the dream. Glad uh, to hear. I'm calling about the Flyers. Uh-huh. And I am a 50-year fan, which and I've had enough of them. Fletcher needs to go. The signing of D'Angelo indicates to me that Ryan Ellis is not going to be ready for the season. Last year, yeah, the trades he made have all failed, and I'm just done with the failure uh rick you want to give this a (laughs) post-mortem listen i feel your pain uh what can we say uh fletcher's moves and you know the the statements made publicly this week we're gonna get into this with and here at the top of the hour Uh, but as if you're a 50-year flyer fan you know hang in there for a couple more years let's see what happens all right you know give it give it I, I hate to be the one to say, be patient. I don't want to do that because you're a 50-year fan. You sound like you know what you're talking about. But at this point, what else do you got to lose? Just keep wearing your orange or black. Um, wow. wow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to talk over that. that. That's a great transition, Kyle. Anthony Sanfilippo, who covers the Flyers as well as anybody in this town, is going to join us next. We'll see if he uh, if he sees hope or – oh, I guess that's the last line. Well, maybe uh, he's got a better answer than I did. Yeah, I don't know that there is a better answer. Ricky Ricardo, Glenn Mack, now on 94 WIP. Along with Ricky Ricardo, I'm Glenn Mack now. And, Rick, our next guest wrote mm-hmm. this this week uh, in a story with the headline, The Time Has Come to End the Embarrassment That is Flyers Management. He wrote, What has happened on his, his being Chuck Fletcher's, watch is the absolute burning to the ground of a once iconic franchise. He was handpicked by beloved founder and former chairman Ed Snyder to oversee. 
That's be Oh, I'm sorry. It's not about Chuck Fletcher. It's about Scott. You know what? Let me go to Anthony. Anthony, I'm screwing this whole thing up. I'm trying to praise you, and I got it out of context. You're writing about Scott there. Yeah, well, I, I, ripped, I ripped them all. No, man. I know. So you ripped Fletcher, too. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue reading now. That's because if he, Scott, thought last season was rock bottom, he never could have anticipated GM Chuck Fletcher digging through the, through the floor further to find scorching hot lava and letting it erupt and consume the entirety of the franchise. Rick Anthony is pulling no punches here. Um, I see. Mm-hmm. Anthony, I'm just going to start with the easiest, not the easiest, but the most basic questions. What the hell happened to our hockey franchise? Glenn, as soon as you find the answer to that, let me know. I'll write about it. Yeah. I, seriously. I mean, I, I mean, no one knows where it went. I mean, how, how you could go this bad this quick. I mean, when you, you know, you can look back if you really want to and start looking at some of the mistakes that maybe were made on one side. Um, of the operation while the team was still somewhat decent on the ice and say maybe it started there. But you don't, at this point, that's irrelevant, right? I mean, at this point, when you look at it, this team was in game seven of the second round in September of 2020. And here we are in July of 2022, and it's the worst this franchise has ever been. Ever, ever been. Glenn. Ever. Franchise goes back to 1967. This is the worst ever. And so, so how do you go from being one win away from a conference final to being in the worst place your team has ever been in 22 months? I don't know. I, I don't know how that happened. But the fact is, is that the, the, the real disappointment here is the fans were, were told one thing by Dave Scott and Chuck Fletcher at a press conference in January – and then what it ended up being was something completely different. And it was so, the wrong completely different. Like, it would be different if, you, if it, they just decided, you know what, we decided to change course, we decided to tear it down, we're going to be, you know, we're going to go have a couple years of struggle, but we're going to rebuild this thing back up. Okay, fine. They took a path that was somewhere in the middle that they're not rebuilding and not retooling. And it's, it's awful. It's worse than it's ever been. So I take it the Morgan Frost re-signing doesn't move the needle for you here. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Ricky, it doesn't. And the fact of the matter is, like, I'm not a big Morgan Frost guy. I mean, I think that the kid can maybe become a little bit of something, maybe a useful NHL player. But no, he's not going to be a, a big part of this future uh, of this team. And it, who knows what this team is going to be? The, the, the problem is, is they had an opportunity. There was a there was a superstar caliber player who made it be known that he wanted to play for the Philadelphia Flyers. And we knew this not just of late. We've known this throughout his entire career because he's from the area. He's always said he wants to come here. And now he hits free agency, and Chuck Fletcher and his team had six months to find a way to open up enough cap room to sign a player of this caliber and just and missed. They whiffed completely. They punted on the opportunity to do it. And I don't know, like, they're not going to be bad enough next year to get a generational pick. They're not going to be good enough to, to um, you know, make the playoffs. They're going to be just another bad hockey team with nobody coming to see them. And it's, just, it's a real, real major disappointment. Well, I think you laid this out really well because they decided, okay, we're not going to go in the direction of getting Johnny Goudreau. Uh, you know, the best free agent on the market, as you said, the low kid who wants to come home because we don't. Well, A, they don't have the money, but B, they're not going to really try to contend. Two, 
we're I mean, we're not exactly going to kind of retool and we're not going to rebuild so they're kind of in nowhere land there there's no there does not appear to be any plan or i hate to use the word process cuz people associate that with one specific thing but there doesn't appear to be like any kind of game plan to this well this is this is that's what i'm trying to say Glenn. contradictory moves so yes so like for example okay um, they they tell us they're going to be aggressive and they're going to go after high end players in January. Great. Then they go out and they trade three draft picks for Tony D'Angelo, who you know is a good offensive defense, is going to help the power play, going to make things better on the blue line. Okay, fine. So they 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 trade assets, future assets to get better now. Good. They buy out Oscar Lindblom's three million dollar contract. Difficult decision because he's a very popular player, obviously because he beats cancer, but they, they create a little bit of room to do something with that money. Okay, this seems like that's where they're headed. That's the plan. And then right there, it just stops. And instead of going forth with that, they bring back 35-year-old Justin Braun. They sign Nick DeLaurier, who is a fourth-line fighter. There's one of the few fighters left in hockey. For four years, they sign DeLaurier. And you need a backup goalie. Obviously, it's not their fault that Fedotov ends up in the Russian military, but the backup goalies that they signed have a combined nine games of NHL experience. Carter Hart's going to be on an island. Is he going to play, is he going to play 65, 70 games? Are we going to have you expect him to be Marty Brodeur? Like, you can't expect, I don't know what they're doing. There's, it just, it's incompetence at this point. Like, it doesn't make any rational sense at all. The Metropolitan Division is going in one direction, and the Flyers are going in the other direction, Does, you know, that, that adds fuel to the fire here of how frustrating this immediate future looks. The Rangers are getting better. The Islanders have retooled. The Devils have, you know, some young talent. The, the Flyers are going one way. The rest of the division, the teams that they need to beat, are going in the other direction. I, I'm not certain that there's a team in the, in the Metro who the Flyers are better than. And, and, and it's funny because I say I think that they could be a little bit better than the fourth worst team in hockey. I think that the Metro is just a, a loaded division. Right. When you're right, Ricky, when you when you look at these teams in this division, they all kind of improved or at least stable or kept themselves stable. Like Pittsburgh, you know, they brought back Malkin, they brought back Latang. Um, so they, they, you know, those teams all kind of stayed where they were or got better, and the Flyers didn't do anything. The Flyers just went eh. Okay, look, if, you're, if the plan is, is for the team to be absolutely awful, you know, just play terrible and, and maybe have a shot at Connor Bedard, who a lot of people think is the next Connor McDavid, um, okay, fine. But say that. Tell people that's your plan. I think the fan base would be okay with that. And people would come see the team this year and kind of get excited for the possibility of that. But if you're not going to do that, if you're going to sit there and tell them that, you know, I mean, Charlie, Charlie O'Connor asked uh, Chuck Fletcher this at his press conference at, uh, after free agency and said, what happens to the aggressive retool? He said, no, this is an aggressive, this is an aggressive yeah. retool. Yeah, when it you is. signed the worst uh, forward in hockey to a four-year deal at age 31. Um, uh, uh, Sam Hinkie, a.k.a. Anthony Sanfilippo, is with us, um, <laughs> advocating, advocating the, the pros A process. Yes, is, that they, no. that they, that they that, yeah, right. This would be the process. The process. Like yeah. The process. Yeah. So, process. so short of that, um, Anthony, I was at a couple games last year. Sat with you at least once or twice, and that place was a morgue. 
Now they got to go out and sell season tickets for the next year. I'm not asking you to tell the Flyers marketing department what to do, but Anthony, other than Gritty and God, please know, please that this this is why I can't stand Gritty. How are they going to get 20 people in the building? I don't know. I feel, and I honestly feel bad for them in that regard because you know Tortorella will give you a little push at the beginning. Obviously, fans are going to want to come out and see see him coach and see. See what the team looks like in his style. I think so that maybe gets you that first month, the home games within that first month, people will be interested. But if the team gets off to a bad start, you know, especially if the Eagles are good, which a lot of people think, you know, especially if, uh, you, know, you know, the Sixers are going to be coming back at that time of year, you're, you're not going to have any interest. And then the schedule makers did them no favors. They only play one home game against Pittsburgh. So you're not even, you don't even have the, the, the rivalry game, right? That, you know, other than, that one time, and that's Black Friday, which sells anyway. And then after the Super Bowl, they only play two games at home against division opponents. All the games that are at home after the Super Bowl are either the other division or Western Conference teams. Nobody's going to be in that arena. Nobody. It's going to be an empty shell. And, and I don't know what they could do to market it. I mean, it's, it's beyond me. I, I mean, if they average... And I'm saying real butts in seats, not ticket sales, because you can always fudge the number of actually of actual tickets sold. But the drop count, which is the number of people that actually walk into the building, if they get ten thousand a game, they should count their lucky stars, because that's really what you're looking at. I uh, take the under. I definitely take the under. <laughs> yeah. Who does Tortorella, you know, upset first? His own fan base, the league, uh, the volcano known as Torts. When does that erupt? <laughs> Well, I, you know, that's a good question. I, I think that you know, one of the interesting things that he said, um, you know, in, in his opening media tour was that there is a there's a fractured locker room and that that he needs to repair that first and foremost. So I think that internally is where he's going to upset apple carts first and foremost. I think mm. he's going to he's going to he's going to upset players first and foremost and see which ones want to buy in to his style and system and which ones don't belong and, and really root out the problems in the locker room. And I think that's what he's going to do first and foremost. I think fans are going to give him a, give him a chance. I really do. I think that they like the fact that he's a little bit old school. Um, I think that's what Flyers fans like. Um, so I think the fans will give him a little bit of time. And the other possibility, of course, is the media. He doesn't like dumb questions. He doesn't want to be asked stupid questions. Um, he'll get real frothy. Uh, so I think that there's a real possibility that uh, there could be some some real nice uh, tête-à-tête between between John and, and some of the media folks. So um, that's the other possibility. But uh, but no, I, I look guys, I don't see it. I just don't see how this team is really competitive in any way this upcoming season. Do you think Tortorella signed up knowing this? I, I you know I wonder, Glenn. That's a great question. I wonder if he knew that he was going to be this first season was going to be ugly. Um, look, you, he had to know. This is how I look at it. You know, John Butchagross from ESPN, he tweeted out, you know, that Tortorella was going to end up with the Flyers. They were working on a show at ESPN together, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, that was a thing, right? So, like, you, of course, you knew when Bucci puts that out, well, he knows because he's working on the show with the guy. Well, Butchagross also put out that the Flyers were going to sign – um, Johnny Gaudreau. So, mm. don't you think Torts is telling him, I, yeah, we're going to go get Gaudreau? 
and because and Chuck was trying like mad, and I know for a fact Chuck tried like mad to trade James Van Riemsdyk's contract, but teams held him over a barrel because they knew what he was trying to do, and he didn't want to give up the first-round pick in the 23 draft because he felt that it was too deep of a draft and felt that that was too steep of a price to pay, and it didn't happen. And Gaudreau was stunned. That's why he ended up in Columbus. Yeah. He was stunned. He thought he was coming home. So, yeah, I don't know if Tortorella was, was told this was what it was going to be. I think Tortorella thought he was going to have a player or two to kind of work with and not be in the situation that he's in. Hmm. So he might be Henri already. <laughs> yeah, I mean, could, he may he have been sold be. a bill of goods. Yeah, well, he could be. Could be. I don't want to say bill of goods so, so, you know, too much because you never know. Or you, 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 that's the plan, that that's what you're going to do. Um, and then if it's, you know, something could always fall through. But normally there's a backup plan, right? If, so, okay, if the Johnny Gaudreau thing doesn't happen for whatever reason, another team offers more money, he chooses something, decides to stay in Calgary, whatever. Like, if that doesn't happen, there's, there's, I'm sure there's a plan B, right? They're going to go after another big-name guy or, or, or two mid-level guys that kind of make up the difference. Well, they didn't do that. Yeah. And, that's, and so that's where it's, it's not necessarily that it's a bill of goods. It's that it's, it's incompetent, that they didn't have a plan beyond the Johnny Gaudreau signing to put in place. Yeah, they just didn't have one. That's- uh, two, two more real quick ones for me, um, and and if Rick wants to close, that's fine. Uh, I'll I'll ask them together. One, do you have any thoughts on the first round pick? And two, one of the things they did is they traded for Tony D'Angelo, who comes with a ton of baggage, uh, and signed him to a two year, ten million dollar deal. Would you quickly assess those two moves? Yeah. So the first I'll tell you is Cutter uh, Cutter Gauthier. Um, when, whenever there's a draft, I mean, I, I, I don't get to see these kids play junior hockey, so I don't know anything about them. Um, so what I like to do is I like to ask NHL scouts that aren't from the Flyers, you know, what do you think of this player? And I, so I asked two guys who I respect really well, and um, both thought highly of them. But the one said this. The one said, I give the Flyers credit. They went outside the box here, and they're going to make him a center. He said, if we, had, if we, and he meant the scouting community, had the opportunity to watch Cutter Gauthier with his size and skill set as a center, maybe in like World Juniors or another tournament like that, there's a good chance that we, maybe we would have picked him one or two because that, if that translates really well. Um, so give the Flyers a little bit of credit there that they could be developing a player that's maybe better than where he was drafted, that you get a little bit of a steal at pick five. Um, as for D'Angelo, again, um, not wanting to just jump on to the uh, public narrative train, um, I talked to some people down in Carolina that I know um, and said, listen, you guys signed him last year. I'm, I'm sure you had to do some due diligence. What was your thoughts, and then what was he like when he was with you? And they said, listen, we talked to dozens of former teammates, coaches. They all said good things about him. Uh, so we took a chance. We brought him in when he came in. Everybody loved him. The coaches loved him. He was never a problem here. Um, really good, you know, good player, good guy in the locker room. Uh, there's a belief that some of the stuff, I mean, obviously it happened. It happened, and we're not trying to take it away from that it happened, but it happened when he was 16 years old. Yes, there was the fight in New York, but now there's a question of who do you believe was responsible for that. Was it D'Angelo or was it Georgiev, right? I mean, so that's one that's, you know, there's two sides to every story. The other stuff occurred when he was 16, 17 years old. Do we want to hold that against an adult for something he did 10, 12 years ago? I mean, yeah, it happened. We have to know it happened. That way, if it happens again, all right, there's a pattern. 
but then again, I think maybe sometimes you have to look at it and say, uh, let's wait and let's let's wait and see, you know, if that if that develops again, and, and then if it does, okay, shame on us. We 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 took the chance and we blew it. All right, I'll wrap it up then, Glenn. I'll ask both of you guys, and I'm a hockey guy just as much as you guys are. I saw Sean McDonough last night at the stadium because he's also doing Red Sox uh, radio. I thought the the first year of the TNT ESPN takeover of the game was okay. There was some things I liked about the way they presented the game of hockey, some things that I didn't like. I want you guys' take on year one of TNT slash ESPN presenting the game of hockey. Uh, well, I'll go first, Glenn, because you'll probably have more time than me to answer. Um, uh, my thoughts were kind of like, like you, Ricky. I'm kind of in the middle. Um, I thought TNT's pregame show was really good. Uh, at their studio show, I think is really good. I think that they have they figured out a formula that worked in the NBA and now found one that works for the NHL. So I really like what they do in studio better than what ESPN does. I think ESPN is very, you know, very stiff um, and, and stuffy. Uh, as far as the broadcasts, though, I like ESPN's broadcasts better than TNT's broadcasts. I think there's better people on air there. Um, and I think that just having hockey on ESPN is good for the sport. So whether or not the actual broadcasts are great or not, just the notion that they're there and they're treating it as a sport that matters helps immensely. Because for years and years, hockey was kind of off the radar in this country. Yep. And now it's now it's back. So that's my. Take it on. does. It is. A, it's a platform that they need. I like TNT's coverage much much better. Uh, Snow the goalie podcast is a must listen. Anthony Sanfilippo. It is always a pleasure, my friend. Hey, anytime, guys. Love talking to you. All right, take care. There See you, Ant. Um, yeah, I, I thought I like. I agree with him. TNT's got. Gretzky's kind of a step, but the other guys in the studio show are very are very good. Yeah, yeah I mean, Messier was terrible. Wow. Yeah. By the way, did uh, did this segment uh, provide you with any hope for the upcoming season? None whatsoever. None whatsoever. No. Let's sneak in Ron from Maryland. You're on with Ricky Ricardo and Glenn Mack. Now, hey, Ron. I can't believe it. you're two of my favorite talk show hosts, and I'm talking music but when I want to talk to you today. But <laughs> ah. we're tying it in with what you were saying. I always was a big Motown fan, mm-hmm. and uh, I love the original now. And I'm, I'm Ray Dinger's age, so that should tell you something. Ray Most loves, by the way, is, Motown is Ray's favorite genre exactly, of music. Exactly, and he yep. would talk to you about the Uptown Theater. I go back to the arena on 46th and Market, where the famous Philadelphia Ramblers played. And anytime Smokey Robinson or the Temptations were in town, I would go to their concerts. Okay, Wait, hold on. Well, this is Ray Dinger, isn't it? You're just calling with a different voice. No, no, no. As you know, that's his favorite musician. Oh yeah, definitely. So, yeah. oh yeah. I, I, when I hear him talk, I, I can remember me and six Italian guys, only white guys in the place, and the women screaming to "Oh baby, baby." So I know exactly what he was saying. But anyway, so. One one year, I don't know if you're familiar with the old Latin Casino in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, if you drove by it, it didn't look like much. You know, it was like in a strip mall, but everybody and their grandmother who was anything entertained there. So one New Year's Eve, me and a friend, Dave Spencer, who, by the way, he was instrumental. He was from Delaware. He recruited Bo Kimball and Hank Gathers at USC before they transferred. So we have our dates at the Latin Casino to, for dinner and uh, the Temps. So we're killing time. We walk around the back, and like most strip malls, you know, they in the back is where they get their deliveries. I see this big Cadillac and the license plate, the old blue drab Michigan license plate, simply says yep. D. Ruffin. D. Ruffin. So I said to Dave, what do you think? 
I stick my head in the window, and I feel a shoulder grabbing me real hard. And I look up, and the old stereotype of Mr. Clean, there's this big white guy, shaved head, earring. Before earrings were fashionable for mm-hmm. some men. And he goes, can I help you? And I went, just looking, I'm sorry. He goes, that's all you had to say. He opens the door. It is David Ruffin's Cadillac. He says, what do you think of the upholstery? Uh, leopard skin upholstery. <laughs> I sit in the car. I'm 5'10 in shoes. The, Dave was tall. I slide back, right? And I look in the console, and I see an A-track. And I go, there's a tape in there. And I go, what does the great David Ruffin listen to when he's not performing? I grabbed the A-track. What was it? The Temptations live at the Copacabana. Wow. But uh, <laughs> First of all, the fact that they yeah. let you do that is impressive. Second of all, good story. Do you still have that A-track? Well, he's not with us right now. Okay. If he still has it put in his pocket that night, it's probably well, worth a pretty penny. I hope he didn't steal it. He wouldn't steal <laughs> well, something. He, he got as far as pulling the thing out of the That's, machine. For that, is, that is true. I had an A-track player when I in my first car when I was a kid. And I don't know if you ever had an eight track before. I mean, they, no, they my tried first to. Was, my first was a cassette. Okay, so eight track was to cassette what Betamax was to VCR, which is they thought like, hey, here's a different technology that like doesn't work as well, but we're going to try to get you to buy it. And um, my sister, God bless her, got me an eight track for my high school graduation that was in my car. Ricky, I am not exaggerating to tell you that every single tape would break, yes. and what it would be is it would play. And then it would unspool inside the player. So you'd be listening and be like, oh, right? And you'd try to pull it out before the whole thing unspooled, and then it would just be broken. Once you pulled the the 8-track out and the tape was out, forget it. There was no way to get into the shell to fix it. Correct. It was pretty much shot. 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494. We are here until 1. Gobert's radio is coming up after that. Is it, is it James Seltzer and Ruben Frank? Today? It's uh, Ruben Frank and Rob Ellis today. And actually. Rob, Ruben and Rob. Well, there you go. By the way, this segment sponsored by Meridian Bank. Business banking at its best. Visit them at meridianbanker.com. Ricky Ricardo and Glenn Macnow on 94 WIP. With Rick Ricardo, I'm Glenn Mack. Now, this segment is sponsored by Meridian Bank. Business banking at its best. Visit them at meridianbanker.com. Um, so, Rick, the All-Star game is this week. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, again, everything's more fun when you're a kid, right? Because I remember getting so excited about the All-Star game back in the day. Is it that I was younger? And I'm not just talking like when I was 12. I'm talking like when I was in my 20s, 30s, like, oh, the All-Star game. Or is it that it doesn't have the luster it used to for various reasons? Oh, it absolutely does not have the luster. By the way, just to answer a previous question of yours, Glenn, yeah. Alec Bohm is in the lineup. Oh, he's, good. He's hitting seventh, so that's good, good news. Glad uh, to hear. Schwarber, Hoskins, Castellanos, Hall, Real Muto, Stott, Bohm, Didi Gregorius, and Matt Veerling. I don't think the, uh, the concept of an all-star game, the last – of the Mohicans, per se, I think is maybe still baseball, and that's lost a lot of the luster. I didn't like the hanging the uh, the home field advantage of the World Series thing yeah, over the you know, over the All Star Game a few years no. ago. I'm, I'm I'm glad that they've gotten rid of that, but 
I used to look forward to watching the guys that I would never see when I was young. I mean, I, I, at, at my home in New Jersey growing up, we watched Philadelphia television and New York television. We had both. Mm-hmm. So we'd watch the Yankees, you'd watch the Mets, and on PHL 17 and eventually uh, on 29, it was Phillies baseball. So I knew every Philly. I knew every Met. I knew every Yankee. But they were, especially if it was a game uh, on the West Coast, I didn't know who the big stars you know, on the Oakland A's were or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, guys on the Dodgers per se. So to see all of them showcased in one place was something that I looked forward to. And then when you voted, when my first experience in yeah, voting for the All-Star I game like that. Yes. was the ballot that they had at the supermarket. The and little chads. Yeah, with the chads, and you yes. punched the hole. You know, so I would purposely grab three or four. Three or four. Oh, you were <laughs> – I would try to go through 20 of those things with a hole puncher. Yeah. So you, you, you felt like you were part of it. Yeah, I You agree. really did because, you know, it was really on a ground level – the voting process, and you thought, well, I voted for this guy, and he made it, and I wanted to watch the guy that I voted for. It was a big deal. But, no, the All-Star game is uh, just the concept of All-Star games. In hockey, they've tried a 100 different you – No, know, it'll never I, work in hockey because nobody plays defense, and so it's a different game. Exactly. The NBA All-Star game is more of a party. It's a, it's a hip-hop culture party for the entire weekend. The game is anticlimactic. Heaven knows the Pro Bowl's not even, you know, and they still get ratings, which is beyond me. But. It's astounding that they still get ratings. They know it's an embarrassment. They're yeah. talking about ending the Pro Bowl, but they outdraw any any basketball, any hockey, any baseball game with that stupid Pro Bowl. Yeah, the content itself draws eyeballs. But the baseball all-star game, which is the traditional, I guess, if you want to call it, you know, granddaddy of all-star games, is nowhere near as uh, as important or as you know uh, alluring or attractive as what it used to be. Now I have not gone through the uh, rosters that are going to be playing this week. I see today's a day where you know a lot of guys who dropped out, the new guys are being added. Austin Riley, the Braves was added today. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody sent me this morning the rosters of the 1971 All-Star Game. And I underst- I appreciate that I'm was about that a, to go was back. Was that at Tiger Stadium? It was at Tiger Stadium. It's the mm-hmm. famous one where Reggie. Reggie Jackson hits the home run into the light stanchion, right? But I appreciate that I'm going way back. But people will know these names. There were 19 Hall of Famers in that game. Let me run the names by you, okay? This is the, Nas- this is the National League roster. Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, Roberto Clemente, Willie Stargell, Lou Brock, Willie McCovey. I'm on my third Willie. Uh, Ron Santo, Johnny Bench, Pete Rose. I know he's not a Hall of Famer, but, you know, we know what we're talking about. Juan Marshall, Ferguson Jenkins. Ouch. How is that for talent, man? (laughs) And see, even Willie Mays, to a guy like me, and I remember that All-Star game because the, all the kids in the neighborhood, we created a cardboard box tent outside with a with a long cord. We oh. took out a, a little black and white TV. Oh, I love that. Yeah, and we actually created – it was middle of summer, no school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we created a cardboard box tent with a long extension cord from the basement for power and had a little, you know, portable 
seven-inch whatever black and white TV, and we watched it with popcorn and sodas and stuff. And, and we wanted to watch the great Willie Mays because he was a San Francisco giant, yeah. and you could never watch that. So it was really the only time that you could see some of these great athletes, and to see them all in one place was just, you know, it was amazing to us right. when we Here, were seven, eight years old. Sure. Here's your American League Hall of Famers that night. Rod Carew. I love watching Rod Carew. I used to love his batting stance. and just mm-hmm. it was I used great. to imitate it all the time. I could never hit the ball if I imitated Carew. Him well, and Dick McCall. Because you're probably not left-handed. Yeah, I used I I tried to imitate. Remember Dick McAuliffe? Oh, I loved it. Dick McAuliffe. It's funny. I was in a conversation with somebody this week. The first baseball glove I had as a kid was a Dick McAuliffe autograph glove. So he became my favorite player. Yeah. I actually have. I did a Tiger fantasy camp years later. Met him and have a picture with him. Yes, he had a great batting stance. The impossible to hit from. Uh, okay, Rod Carew, Carl Yastrzemski, Frank Robinson, Brooks Robinson, Ooh. Al Kaline, <laughs> Harmon Killebrew, Louis Aparicio, Reggie Jackson, and Jim Palmer. I mean, that's a game. Wow. Yeah. See, that that is – I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. That's baseball showcasing itself at a time where, you know, it was, it was the game. It was still the national pastime. Yeah. Oh, and that's and and it was, it was something. And I, and I I am not doing this to do a hey it was greater back in the day and then it is now because there are some stars and there's talent in the game today that's as good as it ever was. Uh, you know I there are aspects of the game I don't like now. I don't like the diminishing importance of starting pitchers. You know, give me five innings and go sit down. By the way, no team more guilty of that than your New York Yankees. Guilty of. Guilty of, tell the starting pitcher, go five innings and go sit down. Your job is oh. done. The <laughs> well, Yankees, got, the yeah, Yankees led the, They, I know. Well, of course. They led the major league in relief innings last year. Yeah. Well, they've had a great bullpen. And they, they, Even when there was no DH in the National League. Yeah. The, the concept of the starting pitcher uh, throwing a complete game, it's, you know, that's, that, that has gone the way of the Edsel. Do you remember, Glenn, who the pitcher was? Of which Reggie Jackson hit the ball off the light stanchion. Who Reggie hit it? Okay, so it's got to be a National League pitcher. Yeah. Give you a hint. He okay. once threw a no hitter on LSD, according. Oh, to him. <laughs> well, well, that cuts the pool down a little bit. <laughs> that was the great Doc Ellis. Yeah, the late great Doc Ellis. Yeah. Wow. Well, there you go. Good stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, we can reminisce. Let's go to Lori. You're on ninety four WIP. Hey, Lori. Hi, how are you? Good. Hi, Lori. Yeah, I just called to talk about the Phillies and to say that I absolutely think they can make the playoffs. Uh, I know people got very upset with them losing, you know, in Toronto. Mm-hmm. But think of how many players they were missing, and now they're back, and hopefully we'll be getting Harper back soon and Singora. Um, I don't know. How do you feel about it? You think they will or they can? Mm. Rick? I think they have enough to be one of the wild cards. I think the division, that ship has sailed. It'll probably be the Mets. I think the Braves and the Mets will battle the division out. Mm -hmm. Uh, But with the extra wild card, I think that's the impetus for upper management to make a move. Look, they're in the deep end of the pool now. They've already gone beyond the luxury tax threshold, so they're already swimming in deep waters. Uh, Now it's, it's time to make a move try to get at least enough pieces to get them into some postseason play, bring the enthusiasm back to South Philadelphia. Glenn, right. and, and I, there would be nothing better. 
and and Lori, thank you for the call. There'd be nothing better than to have events on both sides, you know, in in South Philadelphia, an Eagle game. Oh, we're going to have to play the baseball game at night so they don't play at the same time. Please give me that headache of having a, a, a possible Major League Baseball playoff game and an Eagle regular season game going on on the same Sunday. It was so great during those years, 07 to 11, mm-hmm. when they won those five division championships and were in the playoffs every year at that time, October, and you would go from – you would have the both on the same day, and there yeah. were times when they were both here, and it was, you know, wasn't fun for traffic purposes. But my God, it was really special. This team has been in a playoff drought for eleven years. This would be a great year to yeah. end it. And hey, what do I put the odds? I would say they have a, and I didn't look it up because there are actually statistics published every day. I'd give them a forty percent chance to make the playoffs. I think that, that I, I'm going to go a little higher. I'll go fifty percent. I don't buy the Giants. Uh, I think boy, that Cap- collapsed. Yeah, Ka- Kapler did a tremendous job last year with smoke and mirrors, but they miss Buster Posey. They've got a bunch of pieces yeah. that are gone from that team. So I'm not buying the San Francisco Giants, uh, the Cardinals. Who I guess the Phillies did win the season series, right? From the they Cardinals, did. they did. So there's remember, there's no tiebreaker extra game, right? So that's a feather in their cap there because that might be close uh, with Milwaukee and St. Louis. One of those two teams is going to win the Central. The other one's going to be a a contender for one of the wild cards. So you know, the way the National League is shaping out, and and San Diego up and down, uh, even if you concede the NL East loser, one of the wild card spots. The Padres, Phillies, Cardinals, they're all right there, give or take. So uh, I think the Phillies are a move or two away before the August 2nd trade deadline from bringing baseball back to October in South Philly. And by the way, your Michael Taylor from the Royals to play center field, I think, is a brilliant idea. I, I'd, I'd love to see it. There you go. He's got a contract through next year, about 4.5 mil. So Not much affordable. Yeah. No, you give him a pretty good prospect, it's done. I like it. All right, coming up, uh, we'll sneak in a call or two, 215-592-9494, and we will find out from our producer, Kyle Quinn, what did we forget to talk about today? He's Ricky Ricardo. I'm Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. He's Ricky Ricardo. I'm Glenn Mack now. Um, so, Rick, you had uh, texted me during one of the breaks that there's a there's a story you wanted to tell about running yeah. into one one of the greats of broadcasting and the funniest guy in the business, Bob Euchre. Well, this all has to do with the fact uh, that you and Ray had the great run with the Tell Me Your Story series. Yeah. And it was fresh off of the Al Michaels interview. He was a great guest. He, right. he, yeah, he knows that story. So I'm at a, a, a baseball broadcaster's uh, luncheon, as a matter of fact, and I'm at a table with Bob Euchre, who is, as you know, Glenn, one of the funniest, just naturally funniest people you're ever going to meet. And he remembered me from – I had interviewed him a couple of times uh, when I was still doing the Phillies and Espanolos. Remember, he used to do the pregame on, uh, on 1210 on PHT – the uh, we had two pregames. Yep. And I was the host of the first pregame, and I had interviewed Bob on a couple of occasions. So uh, I was telling him, I said, you know, he was discussing some of the great broadcasters he's always worked with. And I said, you know, I just listened to an in-depth interview 
that Glenn MacDow and Ray Dittinger did with Al Michaels, and, and I thought it was fascinating, and so he tells me, he says, sit down, i got a story to tell you. I wish it was Euchre telling the story, Glenn, but you'll mm-hmm. get a kick out of this. Mm-hmm. So Euchre tells me, he says, the first time that um, he did a game Nash, remember uh, back in the late 70s, ABC had the baseball package, Monday Night Baseball, and the trio was Al Michaels, Howard Cosell, yeah. and Bob Euchre. So yeah, pic- yeah. picture picture that trio, <laughs> yeah. okay, as we start the story. So they're doing a game between the Phils, and, I, you know, he, he remembered me from the Phillies, so he says, I'm doing a Phillies-Astros game at the old Astrodome, and the Phils take an early 5 nothing lead against the Astros. It's like in the, in the uh, bottom of the second inning, and – the Astros' leadoff hitter gets a single, and Cosell on the air says, Well, Yuka, it's a perfect time for a sacrifice bunt here to move the runner over. So, Yuka, being a baseball guy, you know, remember, Cosell did not like to be, you know, outsmarted or, oh, no, you know, no. or no. shown up at all. But Bob couldn't just follow along with this nonsense and says, well, Howard, it's it's only the bottom of the second inning. You're already f- down five runs. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't bunt here. I'm I'm giving him the hit sign. You know, so there's an eerie silence, and Cosell, who's now insulted by the fact that he didn't agree with him, says to Euchre, "Well, Euchre, that was rather truculent of you, wasn't it? And I bet you don't even know what I'm talking about." So Euchre takes a breath, and he says, Michaels is, is, is already starting to, you know, sweat this thing. Where is this going? So Euchre, in his infinite wisdom, says to Howard Cosell, Well, Howard, I guess if you had a truck and you let me borrow it, then it would be a truculent. <laughs> My, Euchre says that Michaels went completely silent. Everyone in the truck couldn't believe that his retort to the great Howard Cosell was that when he was accused of being truculent. I love that over love his it. over his comment about bunting. As well, if you had a truck and you let me borrow it, then it would be truculent. The truck you lent. There you go. Good stuff. Loved you. Always loved you. <laughs> I thought uh, it was great. It was a great story. By the way, this hour is sponsored by Meridian Bank, business banking, and it's best visit them at meridianbanker.com. Let's go to producer Kyle Quinn. Find out what did we forget to talk about today. All right, guys. So I'm going to get this one first out of the way here because I want to ease your guys' minds, relax you a little bit because I know both of you have been very adamant about this issue for a long time. But no fear, everybody. Because Jim Thorpe was reinstated as gold medals from the 1912 Olympics. There was uh, a little bit of an issue with amateur eligibility back yeah. then. So I know you guys were uh, clamoring for him to get those I back. I actually am. I, I, I appreciate your humor in this. But I think Jim Thorpe is someone who, um, because of who he was in the time he was, uh, was treated very, very unfairly. And I don't know that you can right wrongs 100 years later. Yeah. But I'm all in favor of giving Jim Thorpe any glory he can have, including naming a town after him in Pennsylvania. I've been I there. Agree. I agree. It's a step in the right direction, if anything. Yeah, one of the uh, one of the great athletes of all time, Jim Thorpe there. So good for him. A wrong that was righted. All right. 
Uh, Ricky, you probably saw this one last night. This is uh, has some significance to the standings, the wild card race, and uh, where the Phillies are. So the Giants were playing the Milwaukee Brewers last night, down five to two to the Brewers in the bottom of the ninth inning until uh, they hit three home runs, one of them by Darren Ruff, including a grand slam off of none other than Josh Hader to come back and win the game. How about that? Darren Ruff has gotten a second life under the leadership skills of one Gabriel Kapler and has made the most of it. So my hat's off to him. (laughs) Good for Ruff. That's the second time you've given Kapler a lot of credit in the last 15 minutes. Look, I I said he'd be a great manager anywhere else other than Philadelphia, but before he got the giant job, I said he would fit perfectly in San Francisco. Everything about that city, that team, and Kapler – Fit like a glove. Love it's it. Better fit. I, Love I don't it. know. I don't know that he's a, he will ever be considered a great manager, but I will agree as a better fit. Didn't Baby <laughs> Yaz hit a grand slam in that game? Uh, I, I believe it, I he have did. The box score here. Yes, it was. Yeah, it was yes, Baby it was. Yaz there. Yeah. Hit the grand Josh Hader has been giving up home runs left and right. Well, yeah, we saw that firsthand like a yeah. month ago. Yes, we, we did. Dealing. That was the Alec Bohm night of heroics. Yes. All right, fellas. Uh, can okay. I, uh, can I get what your else? thoughts on this? is a This is a pretty big one that I don't think we've touched on at all, but it popped up I think sometime last week. But I mean, this is it, this is bending my mind in every which way. Uh, Adam Silver is planning on, well, I guess has proposed the idea starting in 2023-2024 season of an in-season tournament uh, for all 30 NBA teams. So it would be, I guess, in the middle of the season, probably during the All Star break, 30 teams, single elimination. I just have no idea what this would mean, who would care, why. I mean, you guys just, you you guys have at it. Well, it's a European soccer thing, I think, and I'm not saying it to slam European soccer. I think it, it, it maybe it works over there. Is there a, is there a is there a prize? Is there an award? Is there an incentive to win? It's probably going to be a lot of money. I think. I think it's going to be a big, oh, that's big great. money I pot. Need, that's good. <laughs> you know. Money for who? I, the players that win it. Uh, they're making gazillions of dollars. I mean, yeah. What am I learning for that? Right. I mean, this yeah. this relates back to the JT Real Muto thing we talked about at the start of the show. The amount of money professional athletes make is so um, out of touch or out of right. tune with what the average person makes that, like. I don't need Joel Embiid to make more money. Yeah. What they, you know, what they should do, if they do this, they should find one charity in each town, and say, each game your team wins in this tournament, that charity gets ten million dollars. And if you win the whole, I mean, I'm pulling numbers out of the air, yeah. but if if your team wins the whole thing, that charity gets, you know, all this money, all this publicity. That would be something, Rick, that I think people yeah, would emotionally invest in. If you tell me the Sixers win and, you know, CHOP, for example, you mm-hmm. know, there's so many of them, but let's say the Children's Hospital gets the rewards from it, then yeah, I'd be all for it. But to continue to enrich the athlete that has already got too much money that, uh, you know, that they know what to do with, that doesn't interest me at all. I, I, just, I just don't see how they would be able to put it together. Considering all that we know about NBA players and load management and the All-Star game is pretty much right. a joke already anyway. They don't play. Who's going to want to exert themselves? Like, Could you imagine if Joel Embiid went out there and got injured in this midseason tournament right. and w- weren't able to come back and play you know, games that actually matter for the Sixers? I mean, it'd be ridiculous. No, it's a great point. It's a preseason game in the middle of the season, which nobody He's going to care about, but unless they can find a hook, uh, the the one I gave I like. So there you go. I'll endorse myself. Um. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out of market regular season game on your favorite streaming devices anywhere, anytime, all season long. 
Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.